0: As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Michael Mumbau, current co-founder of That's No Moon. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Michael, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks for having me Paul, it's exciting to be here on your podcast, I've not done too many of this so this is a treat, so thank you.
0: I really appreciate you coming uh, coming aboard, It's it's been a very busy year for you so to to squeeze me in for however long we ultimately run for, I, I really appreciate the, the time you're giving me.
1: No, and, and honestly, I um, I love that you're that this is an Australian uh, podcast. I have been to Australia; it's a dream of a lot of people. This is such a it's such a like from the US. I feel like it's one of our you know dream destinations of vacations or experience. Yeah, oh yeah. Like everybody I talk to, they're always like, oh, I want to go to Australia someday. I want to go, and I, so I was fortunate enough to go to Sydney um, a few years back, um, and I, I just loved it so where you're not based where are you based no i'm, I'm in
0: melbourne so melbourne, I, guess the, right, right. Okay. I mean there, there's a fairly strong rivalry between both melbourne and Sydney. yeah sorry i
1: didn't mean to, i didn't mean to you know cause any oh story. no no that's, that's fine <laughs> i just that that's where i was so i was yeah. in, i was in sydney and ultimately uh, uh that was just a great ex- experience there i i would have loved to have had the time to go to melbourne i i, I uh, heard such great things about melbourne i do hope to get there someday too
0: well, if you do, feel free to hit me up and we can, I can show you around a little bit. It's, I um, would, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, both, both cities are a great place. Ignoring that little rivalry for the, mo- uh, for the moment and the, the little bit of politically charged business that's going on between both at the moment as a result of some COVID circumstances. Yeah. Um,
1: you and everywhere else I think <laughs>
0: both, both both places are fantastic so you, you can't yeah. go wrong no matter where you go I did see actually you recently posted on Twitter you, you had a whole bunch of uh, that's no moon stickers and the like and you were talking about all the places you'd stick them including Sydney and those sort of things, like a rock band sort of style thing so feel free to shoot any down here and I'll slap them all over Melbourne if need be
1: <laughs> I, I may have to talk to Scott about that make my there's a place if you ever get to um, down to Sydney or is it it's down for me
0: for, me for me it's up to Sydney
1: Oh, it's up to Sydney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um uh there's a there's a, a little um kind of a dive bar pizza place that has amazing rock and roll music called Frankie's Pizza. Have you heard of it?
0: Uh actually I haven't been there but I have heard the name before, yeah.
1: I wonder if it I hope it's still going even through the COVID stuff. It was just such a blast. I've been there, you know, when I did that trip and I used to, I, I I I probably ended up going there I was there I think for a week. I probably went there at least Two or at least 3 times while I was staying there and yes I want a, I want one of our stickers either in the bathroom or in the wall in the in, the, in the Frankie's Pizza. So somebody else, somebody's up for the challenge of that and Frankie's is okay with it, I'd love to send them a sticker and get it on the wall there.
0: <laughs> I mean, I know plenty of people up there that would more than happily do it if need be. So as long as Frankie doesn't yeah, get only too upset by the whole not,
1: thing. Not in a way that would upset the Frankie's. <laughs> I want to be able to go back.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, exactly. And as soon as they reckon, like if you have put that sticker or someone else has put that sticker up there for you and you walk in with a logo somewhere on you, they might, oh, you, are yeah. the one and chase you out of the store. Oh, so that's the guy.
1: <laughs> uh, well, so- supposed to be a little high- Rock and roll and punk it's supposed to be a little bit a uh, little bit edgy, right?
0: Exactly. So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey has led to this current point in time. Now, Michael, I, I highlighted before, you've been a very busy man this this past year. There's a, been a lot going on, and I look forward to talking about uh, That's No Moon and some of the more recent activities with you shortly. But before we really focus, I guess, on your career and what you've achieved so mm-hmm. far, I wanted to rewind to a point before that and some of your first introductions to games do you remember what either your first game was or what some of your first games were that you played
1: that's a good question um i have been playing games for literally forever some of the, some of the earliest photos i've seen of me as a like three or four year old are from the arcade i uh, have very very fond memories of going to one of my local pizza Places in a place called Middletown, New York, called Calandria Pizza. It's been around forever since I was yep. a, since I was a kid. And like Frankie's, this is, but it's mainly a just, a, just a pizza place. Yeah, but they had a um. They and this is this is I'm just giving you uh, this is a little later, but I have other, yep. other 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 games. But a game called Karate Champ. Do you remember that Karate Champ? It had two uh, stick. The name.
0: Teams. The again, it's one of those ones. The name rings a bell, but otherwise, I don't think I had any experience with it.
1: So that's one of the little later ones. And then um, and then uh, Centipede, I spent a lot of uh, – I'm just going to give you a couple arcade games that were sort of like just the things that I spent plenty of time on. So Centipede, Karate Champ, and then when I would go to the mall, um, there was a game – I like these two-stick games for whatever reasons uh, – Tubin. Which I thought was hilarious. You're in a like you're in a you're in like a, a a tube going down a river, and you have to kind of avoid a bunch of stuff, and yeah. you know very, you know kind of fun and graphical, interesting at the time. And then and then um a game called APB, All Points Bulletin, where
0: you're driving
1: around. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know, I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, that was that was. I mean, there are so many. So those are kind of the early arcade things what really kind of hooked me into a thing I think I don't know that I knew at that time when I was young that I would be a game maker or I'd aspire to be a game maker I actually knew I want I think I wanted to be a toy maker when I was there I wanted yeah, to make a toy okay. um, and you know maybe that's that was the thing when I when I got a PC um, I got a Tandy computer. Um, although actually, even before then, I was actually a gamer playing around on the Commodore sixty four. But I can remember a very, the very kind of Tandy when the PC kind of thing came out, I discovered a lot of the old Sierra games. Um, oh yeah, like kind okay, of the like old point and clicks quest, Elise Quest, Leader Suit Larry, and then the Lucas Arts games, Day of the Tentacle, um, you know, and. Um, and then it, you know full throttle and and all of those things and then and then games like wing Commander, and from that point, I certainly was like, okay wow, um games like yeah day of the tentacle, I was like, i started doing I was always doing art and and I would do pixel art even as early as the Commodore, and I think yeah. I made a correlation like wow like this is this is this is something that is very interesting and and and, and it seemed like those kinds of games, the early verb games pick up uh, pull open close. Like those were, you know, the, the, the story driven, the, those, those were the really engaging story driven games that had all those really interesting genres, right? Like police quest was like a detective kind of, you know, NCIS type thing. And then King's quest was like this old fantasy, you know, back in the, you know, um, yeah. Kings and Queens and kingdoms and mysteries. And then, um, then, uh, I think Heroes Quest, which I think they renamed was uh, you know, more of the fantasy side of that. And then Leisure Suit Larry, which was like this adult uh you know, very yeah, it's... I was probably way too young to be playing that, but it was <laughs> kind of the side of that you know. And then you get into the comedy games, right? That's the Day of the Tentacle um full throttle. They're a little bit kind of genre comedy and the and I just think that that, that totally changed what, you know, my perspective on The kinds of games I loved, and I love the core arcade, Nintendo, Mario games, but something for me just really spoke to me about these story games and solving puzzles and trying to figure out how to progress and see the end of the game and the story and I just love those games.
0: Yeah it's, it's quite interesting I mean obviously there's a there's a kind of mechanical through line amongst a, a lot of those titles that you've mentioned and they certainly kind of fit mostly under that point and click sort of genre and there, there are some little subtleties and differences but there is a mechanical through line there but the thing you've really hit on I guess it's a theme that we're going to come back to again shortly we, co- we even discussed before the show started the storytelling there is, seems to be that real point of difference for them
1: yeah, I, I think that that was the thing that I think really opened my eyes because I played just so many games. I just I was all like, I just consumed everything, um, and but the but a lot of the a lot of the games that I played on Commodore, um, you know, the Commodore sixty four, they they felt very similar to the kind of games you play on mobile now. They're just kind of like. I would you know like impossible mission or um like there's a weird game called um potty pigeon where you're a pigeon you'd go across and you'd poop on citizens <laughs> and stuff. But they were like they're they're kinds of like these like you know pick up play for you know 30 minutes or an hour and put down and and, and that was it and you're you're getting points and yep. you know same with the arcade you play for a little while but you didn't have there wasn't a goal of like okay i i yeah, well, I would just play till I either your drive what driver was the highest score, right? Or if it was Street Fighter to be the you know most competitive. Yeah, I'm not a competitive gamer at all. I never have been. I never really liked being in the arcade and competing. That didn't. I was never great at that. So I never like. So even today, that's why the multiplayer stuff is so hard for me because I just get my butt kicked. Um, but we're in a, a similar birthday. Yeah. So, but the but the thing is, the story. Once the story games, you know started to really you know uh, like the text-based story games became the point-and-click adventure games and then the graphic stuff started to come up and then you even started seeing like 3d start to kind of evolve into it like with grim fandango it was just amazing i i i still think i think there's you know connective tissue between those games and where games like Uncharted and the third-person action adventure genre kind of landed now, because I think we still talk about verbs, right? What are the verbs yeah. of the game? So you still have that. It's the same thing there. Um, you know, the goal is to figure out a lot of them. Oftentimes, puzzles. Same kind of, you know, they're much simpler, um, and you're 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 trying to tra- traverse through, you know. Worlds, or or you know, in 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 Day of the Tentacle, there are different ages or whatever. Not you know, and then um, so that, so to me, it's sort of I feel there's connective tissue from this genre back to that. I might be alone in that. I don't know, but I just no feels, no I can say that. You know, it feels that that's the closest thing to those kinds of games that we have that are not the point and click. And and actually, the funny thing is, I wonder if you know if you know, and there's still point and click games for sure i don't play them now like i i actually de- you know bought broken age haven't played it. it's it been sitting yeah, on okay. my um and i yeah At and i need to go right back it. but what's funny is i find that you know the weird feeling of it feels like this was a language and it's been evolving and it evolved it evolved into this kind of thing that came from these kind of games like monkey island and they've evolved into this new genre um, of action, adventure, cinematic storytelling, right? Yep. Camera, cinematography, performance capture—like it seems the like, it's like of this all is, those. yeah, the evolution of that. And it's hard for me to kind of, kind of unwind back. Uh, a, like I still have a lot of reverence for those games, but I, but I feel like now, uh, I, you know, a Monkey Island game today—if I—if they were going to make one, I'd want one more of where it's evolved to in a weird way yeah it's quite jarring
0: to go back sometimes and that's not just exclusive to the you know point and clicks and those sorts of those sorts of uh, gameplay styles as well but a host of others that just i adore as you said there's reference and like, i love them but it's so hard to go back i think um even just within a certain you know a certain genre and say like i'm i'm big on japanese rpgs for example yeah um i was yep. born, born and bred on final fantasies and chrono triggers and all those sorts of yep. titles on the, the super nintendo and still can't believe I was counting back on some stuff recently I realised I was finishing Chrono Trigger at the age of 5 um, mm-hmm. which I don't know how I managed that but anyway um, <laughs> so, like some of those titles just because of and it's a little bit different but in terms of just the way they would force the grind on you and there'd be so much bloat in there they just become so much harder to access now and that's not necessarily because they're better or worse but sometimes our circumstances have changed that's not dissimilar to here like we've seen this growth that it is hard to go back um, yep. And I just I, in that in the case of the JRPGs, I struggle to go back to some of those older titles because of the way they kind of filled out your gameplay hours, um, and that's just something that's not feasible when you've got a few kids, for example. You
1: know. Yeah, I I feel the same way, but you know, I also find that it's it's interesting. Like, I can tell you back when I was uh, middle school, I put a bazillion hours into games like Civilization. Yep, um, I used to love that game and sim city love sim city um and i i but what's very interesting is that i have no desire to play a game like civilization right now and it's yeah. not and it's not because i loved it then but i, I feel like it it's in, you know it's just a. the the things are evolving my tastes are changing and like I said, like the time, the amount of time I have to play games is much more diminished compared to when I was in middle school. Yeah. I played, you know, all. Anything like, and everything, you know. whenever. Yeah. And when you have a lot of kids and you have responsibilities, you what you get the time to kind of be consumed in, I find more often than not, I enjoy, you know, stories. I, I enjoy story driven games, interesting characters and um, unique worlds. And seeing seeing the evolution still, because there's still an evolution, seeing this, you know, when you look at, like, a game like The Last of Us yeah. 2, it is the culmination of all of these languages intersecting film, uh, you know, writing, um, uh, character development, gameplay, all of these things kind of, like, and, and again, the, you can't take the visual pieces out of it. Like, yeah. just the, the, like, you know, the... the the language of lighting and, and color direction, all of these things that are that are t- that were you know inconceivable a decade earlier at the level, right? And and then you're like, wow, I want more of those type of experiences right now because like they're few and far between at that level, um, and, and and I'm and I'm hungry for much more of those. It's sort of like we go back to the old point and click days. I kind of gave you a bunch of examples of King's Quest and Space Quest and Leisure Suit. Like there's a you could hit every genre, and they all sort of had the same level of quality. Different stories, really interesting characters, but you could hit one monkey all. And it was like there's a cross-section of these things that were genre. And right now, I feel like, gosh, I wish I had more of these types of things at that same quality level. Um, you know what I mean? At that same execution in different genres. And not to say that that's not happening because it would not be fair to say that because obviously, like, you know, Ghost of Tsushima and and Horizon, they're doing that. Um, But, uh, like, I I think that what's interesting is that, you know, the, the industry is so much more mature now, the economics of games, that... Obviously the profitability of a single title at this scale, uh a makes factor. It hard. yeah, it's a factor, right? Because when you're you're looking at, well, if I'm gonna invest a hundred million dollars as opposed to well, I don't even know, they probably were barely five hundred thousand dollars to make one of those games back then. So then you're like, well, okay, we have to monetize this um at some X percentage to make it worthwhile. And then ultimately perpetual monetization is the safest bet. And yeah. if you're talking about from dollars and cents perspective, um, it's just an economically better business model to be in a thing that has perpetual monetization. Yeah, right? if it's got
0: a tail, it keeps you going yeah, for a while. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so 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 that's the the thing is that that you know I feel very lucky, very fortunate that I can still here sit here and have a conversation with you about these games that I played as a kid that I still love and yes they're very different but my tastes have changed too and we're still in a conversation where this isn't a thing that we're talking about an art form that's lost and we wish we could recapture it and still get people to invest in it and you know find um, ways to get these qualitative games out to the world to me I just feel like because there are examples of game genres that have generally disappeared Right, yeah, for they, sure. they, they like, I, 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 um, it was such a fascinating thing to see Microsoft Flight Simulator come back. Like when I saw that, I was sort of like, "Wow!" I mean, I, maybe it's been, or maybe I just haven't been paying attention. But I saw it come I'm like, "It seems like a, a flight." No sim- you're right. It
0: disappeared. Right. It <laughs> like, really disappeared for a while.
1: I, I, there, there was a time Apache and and um and uh, I'm thinking like uh is over the Pacific and and. You know, secret weapons of the Luftwaffe. There, were, like, I can think of a million of these. Yeah, even ten many, years ago, give or take. Yeah. Right, and and nobody plays those. I, okay, not not that's not fair. There's still a, a minority players,
0: plays it. Yeah. Right, but it's
1: number. not not at not at the level that you would see of a you know at at a, at a typical genre success in the yeah. store or in this in the shelves. It's not it's not a it's not a popular genre. Right now. Maybe it will be again, maybe or maybe not. And so that's the thing, right? So I have been hearing, I feel like it at least for 15 years, at least that the single player games are dead. Yeah. Right. That oh, they yeah. are the dying. No up one it it was like dead when Facebook came out and Farm Bill. It was dead when um um, Fortnite you know, started
0: its right. Yeah,
1: and... And, and, and mobile, right? When, when, yeah. when Angry Birds and, you know, just like, well, I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's single. But, but the point of these kinds of games, um, more of the social games and more of the multiplayer games, well, you know, Call of Duty type games, those, are, those, those were predominantly where the industry was headed, where people yeah. wanted to play. Um, and I'm just happy that they are all wrong. <laughs> because yeah. you know there is still a healthy number of skews being made for single player uh st- story driven gamers Adventures, like yeah. you, you know yeah so i'm I I love
0: with you i was a bit anxious when i first started hearing the the ideas being bandied around that yeah single player was dead and there's no future for it and you, you might get one or two tent poles every now and then but otherwise it's it's this world now and i was a bit. Well, there was a yeah. lot of pushback for me personally, and I think I've kind of outlined even my taste of games so far, and they were very much in the, the single-player mold. Obviously, you know, there's, there's variety within that, but they were very much in that
1: myself, the controller, and the screen. Yeah, and, it. and I find it's, you know, that obviously we're in a, 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 the most connected world ever, and it does seem counterintuitive and counterproductive to to insulate. Right. And just do what you just said, a screen, a controller and me. Right. What's the difference between that and a, you know, a light, a chair and a book? And it's kind of like saying that books will, will, you know, are going to die. No one wants to read novels anymore. It's such a fascinating it's like you're only going to read if you're on Facebook reading is going away, you know, novels are dying, everybody wants to be on a social media yeah. platform. That's the only way we're going to consume. So I find it funny that this genre is the this single player thing is a constant, like, there, people are just waiting for it to be a dinosaur. They just can't. Like, certain uh, people that are... Waiting for maybe it to move on. To it, but it definitely comes around where, oh, this is the next big thing, and so now we're going to be in VR headsets and it's going to be connected VR, and, you know, the age of... You know, big blockbuster, uh, action adventure. You know, narrative driven games. That's it. It's you know, <laughs> we're going to see the end of that. I don't know. I hope not. And I, in a, in a, it certainly feels like it's not with the fact that we still found a lot of publishers and um, you know, um, game companies still doing it and interested yeah. in making them. Um, and beyond that. The team members that we have, they like a lot of them were kind of retreating from the multiplayer studios to uh, places like us or um, Striking Distance or Amy Hennig's new studio, mainly because they do want, they like. There's there's something magical about being a part of yeah. this genre. Right? No, I
0: agree. Um, I don't think the desire for a, a a really defined, crafted story being delivered to someone is. Ever necessarily going to die? I think it's it's the mode of delivery that might change over the years. So as some people might, I mean, we, you obviously reference books there, and some people mm-hmm. might grow away from that for what for whatever particular reason it is. But they will they will fill their cup. They will get that experience through film or through a game or or whatever the thing, whatever the mode of delivery happens to be. They'll still find that because I think people are still always going to be looking for that.
1: And, I think so. And even you know, within and,
0: within media that will still evolve too as to what, how that looks.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and ultimately like, you know, TVs and, you know, like, like you're saying, like streaming, you know, like television shows and movies, they're not really communal. Right. I mean, it's yeah. mainly you, you know, you might be consuming it with your girlfriend or if you go to a, or boyfriend or whatever, or, or you might go to the theater and you're with the audience, but really, the audience isn't a participant; they're just there at the same time you are watching. You are. right. Yeah. So, and we're you know, and both experiences are still about you and the screen and the story. And so, um, I we we haven't talked about film and television dying as in in in, a, in, a, in no. a sense that like well, because now we're a connected society and somehow this old you know this old medium of storytelling needs to evolve to a place of connectedness because that's what people want. And if we can't find a way to tell stories that are all about everybody involved in the story as if it's like a, 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 um, a like a, what do you call those things? Escape room or something, I don't oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Like, like a multiple person experience as a story, you know, yeah. that they don't, we don't even hear that. So it's for some reason. And I think, I think the reason my guess is just, by and large, economical, right? The fortnights, the um, war, war zones, you know, the PUBGs are making exorbitant amounts of, of revenue, and so why wouldn't the discussion from the top level, from the investment level, how yeah, can we do that? Yeah, right. Like, right. Like, well, again, it's like from the the business wants to drive you to those things; it naturally does because that's where most of the money is made. Yeah. So um yeah it's a very interesting problem and and from a business perspective from a purely economic business perspective i would understand that evolution if you know as the head of a major gaming corporation making your bets where do you want to place your bets 100 million dollars here 100 million dollars there it's about return on investment um you know, I, I I am curious to see how this will continue in that dialogue, and you know, at the same time, I I, I still actually think when you look at the figures for you know um, games that are like the single player PlayStation genre games, they're very high. They're the the yeah. number of 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 um, you know users and players and 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 sales seem like high enough to justify the investment. They just aren't. Yeah they just aren't every one of them, you know, a perpetual monetization, but it's still good. It seems like it's still good business and it's Absolutely. been working out really well for Sony. So I think that hopefully that, that just seems to, you know, like, like a continued that, that model continues for people willing to invest in it because they're passionate about it. And it's not just purely about the, you know, the bottom line of what's the most you can make. Yeah. Um, although I do understand why that is there.
0: Yeah. There's obviously a very logical rationale there. I guess, and it's something that's starting to bear a little bit of fruit in recent months, maybe even the last twelve months or so. Uh, obviously, we, we've referenced Fortnite there, and it's you know one of the biggest cash cows in the in the world at the moment, but we look at what epic's been doing on the on the actual game development side and they've been they've been pushing money towards a remedy for example to help them with a remaster of Alan Wake or mm-hmm. there's there's a whole host of other studios as well they're working with moon studios and a whole and a whole host of others that are all known for their their storytelling and their single player adventures and i'm sure there'll be a couple exceptions to that rule mm-hmm. but for the most part teams that really focus on storytelling and a single player adventure and they they're looking to invest in that space as well so what i hope as we see a Ubisoft that cr- tries to create their their third or fourth different battle royale, and and you know other other companies that are looking to dip their toes in that space. We've got EA with Apex, all those sorts of things. Is that those those things are great, and they they there's a perpetual amount of money that just continues to to roll in, mm-hmm. but they are then taking some of those funds and committing that to other resources that hopefully result in more of these these storytelling adventures that we've just discussed.
1: Hopefully, yeah. I think, so, you know, it, again, it, it's very interesting when you just think about like humans, right? And historically, regardless of how far back we go in time, which actually reminded me, there's a very funny game. Um, I, I think uh, I played on Commodore, God, what was it called? Uh, the, the the Dino Olympics, because I was actually going to make an interesting, it's, a, it, it's totally like tangential, but it was really interesting because yeah. it was like a prehistoric Olympic game. But I was thinking like, you know, is probably as early as there were, you know, cave dwellers being able to sort of, you know, put paint on walls and sticks. We're telling stories. We're t- we're like storytelling around fires or whatever. But also, right? We have the you know, competition is a part of if human nature. As soon as we can, yes. kind of, right? Evolve like the Olympics were as old as the Greeks, right? So the reality is, it, and it, it's it's like let's um uh, we want to compete. We want to compete that's one section of of our sort of nature um, and we want to tell stories so I feel like it's just human nature to have these yeah. two things and that won't that won't I think neither will disappear there will be competition just because it's human nature and I think we're a story just humans like telling stories we love it right that's that's part of I think our that's just our existence sharing experiences whether, <laughs> yeah, they're, experience. whether they're non-fiction or fiction so I kind of don't fear the death of Story-driven games because I think it's just too—it's too basic uh, a human interest. I think it's yeah. too basic. I think that you know um, that part um, will always have a big enough audience of humans to sort of partake in. I think that there will be, to your point, the not epics kind of looking at the remedies that are doing that and telling stories because the other piece of that is that it's not just about storytelling in games and in that it's about building connected ips and worlds beyond games it's about you know being able to kind of breed life the way that comic books did for marvel to make films based on you know comic books it's just the idea that great characters and great stories go through everything they can they can go anywhere right and walt disney was one of the best at figuring that out and telling us that when you created some interesting characters um, no matter where you put them, whether it was a theme park, right, and put in experiences, whether it was animated TV shows, whether it was in live action and when they started to connect you created this massively powerful entertainment ecosystem and I am still a bit surprised that there are not more of those kinds of ecosystems. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like yeah, in a genuine that that are I mean they're 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 there, they're there, they're there, but not as powerful as what sort of they could Disney figured out a very long time ago. Yeah. you know No, I agree.
0: So some of these little themes we're certainly going to revisit as we start to talk about the formation of that snow moon and even some of your work, right. some of your work along the way. But I guess you spoke there uh, briefly about how at one point you were considering becoming a toy maker. Um, yeah, as a very young kid yeah <laughs> and I'm sure uh, as is the case for for children and teens like there would have been a host of different ideas that might have bubbled to the top as something oh I might want to do that I mm-hmm. see it all the time with the kids that I teach where I feel it feels like every week they've changed their mind right so many of yeah. them come back to youtube and I have to point out how the the viability of that but that's that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation entirely um what was it what was it that put you on the path to get into game development I've, I've listed a whole like as i was doing my research for the episode i've listed a whole host of different credits asylum we've got pixel generation um which interestingly enough we we spoke about epic there before there was a there was a contract that you signed with uh, with epic around mm. that uh yeah. click radio and then eventually acclaim and Sony image works and all those sort of things that we'll touch on later but what was the what was that first opportunity how how did that all emerge where were you so, at at the
1: time so I was in um I was in high school this would be early 90s um and I was just obsessed with video games playing them on you know uh on PC like I said and but also very interested in just computer art just yep. loved pixel art so I I just was dabbling in pixel art at the time when these you know like um Corel Draw, Deluxe Paint, and they were just, you know, you know, just making pixel art even before kind of Photoshop, and and there wasn't this kind of advanced. They were really very simple, but um, you could you could do you could do pixel art, and then you could kind of create sprites and like little animated characters. And I didn't have a, I didn't have an aspiration. I didn't think to make games at that time. I didn't think about that necessarily. I just was like, well, I was used. I I was, I love drawing. I moved into pixel. You know, computer drawing with a mouse, and then I fell in love with that. And then all I would do is just sit there and draw, and and kind of create little animated things. And then when I sort of discovered 3D, like uh, I, you know, in my high school, I discovered AutoCAD, and um, was introduced introduced through this very strange um, like. Uh, um, uh, course that was kind of like a kind of a just an architecture study course but the man who taught it the teacher who taught it his name was mr sweet like you he had a passion for 3d art and so he he got a a grant to get a very early version of 3d studio not max the original 3d studio and i would just poke around in there in my in the classroom and you know we would figure stuff out and i started doing you know, three D modeling, like very simple three D modeling, creating tunnels and three, you know, stuff and just animated. And I started moving from a combination of two D and three D, and it was just kind of experimental CG art. And um, and he, you know, so we so we're just kind of playing in that space. You know, started. So when I graduated high school, I, you know, you in art in New York, you had to have kind of a major ish, like you'd have a minor and a major to kind of graduate yep. with this region Yeah, degree. similar sort of structure here. Yeah. And I made, but I chose art. So, in that, I had to have a portfolio at the end. So, I did this kind of like what they, you know, a mind's eye. Um, That was like, if you look back at the time, it was like these just experimental art CG things. I did my own version of like a mind's eye that had just different animated sections. And a lot of it looked like video games. One of them might have been slightly Star Wars esque or exactly (laughs) Star Wars esque, TIE Fighter type stuff. And then um, basically, from there, I was like, "Wow, I really like this. I really like computer art. I really like." Uh, I didn't know where that would take me, I, but I, you know, I, 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 basically was just knew I knew I loved that, and that was my, that was the area that I, I was, you know. I still don't know that I totally connected that that to making games because I yeah. just I didn't have any programming friends and I wasn't a programmer so I just was like making computer art. Now when I, I, I my first year um, at community college because um, I didn't really know where to take this I went to a community college local community college I started taking art classes and found similar this weird similar minded guy in college who who was a teacher who was also like hey doing these experimental 3d things and so he had a class can't remember the name of the class and um and i met some of these other kids that were in the class and then i started showing them my work and they're like how the hell did you do that i'm like oh it's just this and this like oh we want to do that um that's really interesting and so we started hanging out just talking about that stuff and then they were playing mist at the time i was playing you know Point and click adventure games, yep. and we kind of pow out and be like, we could probably make one of these things, right? Like we could probably make a a, a graphic adventure, and I mean, it seemed plausible at the time. We don't have any programmers, but we're just like, well, whatever. We just didn't, so we just like, let's out. start making one, right? And so we just went on the weekends and started hanging out and just started making art and then started you know figuring out what it was going to be, and we started making a point and click kind of you know our version of a point and click adventure game. Um, with no engineering. (laughs) So it was just art and animation and was like, you know, but we were making the rest after. Yeah. (laughs) And then I walked into I took and then I signed up for a programming class because I'm like, we need a programmer. So I I didn't intend to actually be a programmer, I just signed up for the class to find one. (laughs) So so I basically took this class and just scouted the class to see who looked like the kind of best programmer. And there was this guy, Dave Dahl in the corner and Uh, you know, I could see, you know, he was, he looked really very, you know, he looked pretty damn smart and talented. And I was like, Hey, listen, I've got a bunch of knuckleheads and we're trying to make a game, but we don't have any programmers. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And then I showed him the art and he's like, huh, that's really cool. And then in one class, he, uh, Tim Sweeney, I think his first game or at least one of them was a game called ZZT. Um, and, and Dave Dahl in this one basic programming class, that when i would first told him about the idea by the end of the class he had programmed zzt and he showed me see you know i could be oh, right okay. so in one like in one class and i'm like well that's pretty awesome now i don't know that he made the entire game but yeah he, he showed me basically some very yeah and so i was like okay let's do this and he was like yeah so then we kind of had our an engineer and a couple of people that didn't know how to make art but they were learning and then me and and we just would we would we, we kind of locally went around and and, and one of the guys uh, father knew a, um, a, a local kind of investor, and he introduced us to the investor. and And we pitched him that we would like to start this little game studio. And he gave us twenty five thousand dollars and said, "Here you go." And we took one of the the basement of the the kid that was you know th- that knew the the the, yes. the investor, and we turned his basement into our office. And then. And we started a, a small game studio and just started making graphic adventure games. <laughs> which we had it's no idea to where had no clue but but um, and, a, and then and at that point, I basically you know knowing nothing about game development and having you know just you know, like what it felt like we had a game studio, I just you know reached out because uh, I played a lot of shareware games. I reached out to epic games at the time I saw they had shareware. Ads for if you're a game developer, and I thought we were at the time. I don't know any different, right? We didn't act like. So, how do you know if you're not? You're trying to do yeah. something. I'm to trying to make a are. game. That makes me a yeah. developer, right? We really were making a screensaver for the most part, but it was you know, we, you know, we, aspirations were to make a game. So I so I I contacted Tim and uh, um, and uh, he was he was like, yeah, sure, this is interesting. You know, we'll call us when you're about. We typically talk to. You know, d- developers when they're about twenty-five percent way through the game, but I didn't know what twenty-five percent was. Yeah. So I basically waited two months and called him back and said, "We're twenty-five percent." <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and he said, "Sure, come and meet us in Maryland. We'll we'll talk." And then, uh, we uh, dr- drove out to Maryland, probably nineteen, and met with him and Mark Rain and. Gave this sales pitch and he was they were you know i think tim was pretty suspicious that we only had one engineer and didn't you know we had most of this was all art um and uh but mark was like look i'm encouraged these guys are a graphic adventure we don't have anything like that we have all these other kinds of games but we don't have that one so he he was like yeah let's sign these kids and so that that was kind of where it became wow okay game development could be a thing
0: and uh i mean at such an early point you've got this funding from epic which obviously they've grown into a colossus in more recent days but they were still not a they they weren't a small entity back then either um what was that like for you kind of processing this okay we've just gotten some significant funding we've already had an investor now we've got a someone who's really properly in this space that has at least some understanding of our direction
1: and wants different than it it is now very different i think now so the weird part is epic this was pre-unreal so this was yeah. epic. If you look back, it was like games like Epic Pinball, Jazza Jackrabbit. One, that was that time frame. Yeah. Now they were the biggest thing to me because I knew no, I didn't know any different, right? So uh, there's no way I could have known at that point that they would be this massive, successful, billions of dollars. Like you know that that wasn't, but to, but it didn't matter to me. They were just, I was so enamored. I was so you know just, um, you know Tim was. You could tell like he just when you know he was only probably 24 at the time i was 19 and he just had you just knew that this guy was like he was understood uh, things yeah he was he was i think you know well beyond his years in terms of just like he was 24 but he might have well been you know 44 in terms of experience and knowledge he's just a genius yeah. and you knew that so you knew that like the, these guys were doing stuff and i you know remember him saying look the first thing the most important thing is get ship your first game it doesn't matter if it's the best game in the world you just got to ship a game he so said that's the hardest thing to do if you can do that then 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 you can you can ship games which is the most important thing to making the game you want to make and yeah, you getting your, your vision and stuff. but you got to first be able to get through game one so that was his that was his very um excellent advice and very early on and so they were developing the unreal engine so there was this but i i they were the early days of the unreal engine this is back during the kind of you know quake probably doom quake days and i remember seeing the earliest demonstrations that he would show of this powerful three 3d graphic Engine and this dragon, and I was like, my God! I just wanted to get my hands on this because I was, I was still very much a three into three D at the time. I was very yeah. enamored. I was doing two D art and two D animation, mainly because of the genre of game that I loved and that we were we loved playing, like the the point and click. But I didn't like doing it to be honest. I hated yeah, okay. actually doing uh, two dimensional animations. Very tedious. It wasn't for me. I preferred being in three D, and so I was kind of at this struggle because I was building this team wanting to make this game, didn't love being the animator on the game, was definitely more like on the, you know, sort of pulling the team together and kind of, you know, you know, building that, um, played, the, played the, the function of animator as, because that was kind of the only thing I knew. Um, and, and none of the other guys really knew how to do that or had experimented with that. So I took that, but I didn't like it. And, and I think that was a real problem for me in my immaturity at the time is I was still too attracted to being in 3D. Yes, so I couldn't. I so what actually we were we were starting to do is starting to move three D into two D and doing what like games like um, Full Throttle were doing at the time, which was making three dimensional assets and rendering them to be just you know pixel um, like literally like just images in the game um, pieces of the background, right? Um, And I was almost wanting to move the entire game to three D, like make the main character in three D and do this stuff, and then and still just render it out and make them but but that that didn't feel right and we didn't have enough resources and I couldn't kind of convince my my friends to do that and so um yeah it was just such a you know i kind of just sucked into it like it just kind of like i just accidentally okay, kind of yeah it didn't it didn't it wasn't it, you know there was no real pathway to making games that in a in a way there were now there were no colleges yeah. the colleges didn't have you know barely had um animation like computer animation or computer art programs so that's why I went to community college because I didn't know how to get into any of this stuff that I kind of had interest in I didn't know exactly how it would land but I didn't know so so we just I think it was just lucky timing meeting these guys you know having same interests and then lucky timing for being um at a time when you know there was this shareware (laughs) stuff happening and indie developers and stuff yeah, so um, probably you know long-winded way of, of, of you know how to get into the how how I got into games or or, or whatever it was. It was it's a very odd. But if you if you look at people my age, um, you know in the, in the kind of forties, you know if you talk to if, you know any of our, a lot of them share that because there really just wasn't a pathway, yeah, to do that. Right. So you kind of uh, most people sort of accidentally felt what like what, what a lot of stories that I hear from people like David Jaffe, Amy Hennig, Shannon Studstill. I think Amy, I have to I, I'm, I don't want to miss that, but I know for sure for Amy and, and David, because I, I just even recently heard them talk about it. Um, but I think Amy, too, is that they were going into film. Right, they were yep. aspirationally going to be in in filmmaking. Um, Shannon wanted to be, you know, like a cinematographer. I think David Jaffe wanted to be a um, film director. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. David was talking to me about that a few yeah. months
1: ago. Yeah. And um, and what happened is that you know there it was just the right time. Like you were, if you would be in these film schools, game studios were kind of starting to get more formalized. Like it was actually becoming a a more of a thing especially in Los Angeles, San Francisco and those became opportunities in addition to being film. And I think that film well, even for me like I think probably I aspired to, you know, be at a place like Pixar potentially. Um, yeah. you know when when you know in, in the 90s and stuff. But um the idea of going from nothing to place like Pixar seemed almost inconceivable and yes. i think that film had that at the time which was okay how the hell do you get to uh ilm like as a you know or how do i make films at all like those those it just seemed like such a you know it's already a very seems huge right it felt so i think that the difference with games at the time was that games were being the whole industry was being invented still fresh and it was, there was more opportunity and you could kind of accidentally get into that, you know, because if you had had a film aspiration or a film degree um, or interest in computer graphics or any of those things, I think there were just, you know, there was more opportunity um, and not enough people interested or knowing about it, or um, you know, you kind of also had to a little bit at least probably be a game fan, I think. Right. And if you had that and you were in those, those time periods, it kind of came out as a opportunity. So I um, I think the a lot of the shared stories of people kind of like going into a pathway where they think they're going to be going to film. And then this kind of interesting divergent path. I was more of the ones that was never thinking I would go into film, although I probably would have liked to think that I could, but didn't yeah. think I had enough talent to ever even consider that that. At an early enough age in high school, I started doing these things and landed right after high school making these weird games, so that games seemed just like the logical place for me to be.
0: And film, eventually, oh, sorry, film didn't go. seem,
1: yeah, film didn't even seem like it was going to be a part of my journey, to be honest.
0: Which is interesting that it kind of did to an to an extent a little bit further it down did. the line. But uh, it, it I did. guess before it, we I, that, before yeah. that, we even had a claim, and you worked on uh, Legends of Wrestling one and two, yep. and then. Yeah, as well as some of these other little projects, as you mentioned, that you were kind of cooking up along the way. But yeah, yes. to that point, so it I did think, eventually I lead kept, to Sony Imageworks.
1: I think I just kept fighting for trying to find a way into making games or making, yeah, making, that was the key. I, I wanted to find a way. So um, the. The um, acclaim thing happened is very funny. I was at a, this company, a small startup in New York City that was kind of like a, a, uh, wanted to be MTV of the internet at the time, the internet boom in the in the early, you know, like 1999, yeah. 2000. Is that Click um, Radio? Yep. And yeah. and I that was I didn't want to do that. Like it was not that it was anything against Click Radio. Just at the time I was I felt like I knew what my path was, and I was afraid of the .dot com. I afraid of getting sucked into web as a career which would kind of what i kind of feared was i feared learning skills that were too valuable and you get stuck to leave behind yeah yeah, so you so you sort of like, oh, well, I become an expert web designer, and well, then all of a sudden you want to go into games, and people are like, yeah, no, but you're a web designer, you're a web guy, and so I didn't, so I kind of consciously, very carefully was like, I don't want to do those things, I don't want to take those steps that would kind of put me in, get me kind of pigeonholed, so the only reason I did the click radio thing was because when the guy that kind of brought me into that was pitching the MTV thing, he said, hey, no, we're going to make animated short films here. We're going to yeah, be okay. doing all kinds of storytelling stuff here and uh i'm like really and he's like yeah you have all the freedom super cool we're be doing soft homage and flash and i'm like well that, that sounds interesting so i went there and i'm like okay cool i get to experience what this what this energy of the dot-com thing is happening but i'm not making websites i'm actually doing animated content that was cool and i was like so that that felt still like it applied to a direction that might lead to where I wanted to go Um, while I was still trying to figure out where that was when I um, that kind of started to implode after a year and a half I was like well I think maybe I can you know now I have enough maybe professional experience to see if I can get into a a a, a game company a more established one so I applied a claim uh, foolishly because I was in New York thinking that this was a claim in Long Island all turns right. out it was not long island it was for a position in salt lake city utah it's a little little <laughs> so commute that was a little bit of a surprise and um when they told me that on the phone i'm like they're like how do you feel about utah i'm like huh utah so you know just being open that well any experience and in interviewing and just you know since i just started trying to reconnect with game you know trying to you know that i was like well um i uh flew out to utah They were working on this wrestling game. I wasn't particularly interested in wrestling games. But the thing is, I didn't care necessarily about being exactly interested in what the thing was. I wanted to just learn as much as I could. Yeah, build the experience. You know, it's okay. Like, okay, so I can't work at um, Shiny Entertainment or I couldn't work at, you know, um, Naughty Dog. Like, I wasn't skilled enough. I don't know that I had, you know, enough confidence to be able to get those kinds of jobs. I didn't I just didn't think I did so the the acclaim thing felt like a great way to build toward that and also I could be honest with you that I was also very very for whatever reason um motion capture the idea of motion capture fascinated me from the start I got exposed to it it um click radio Um, My friend Remington had always been doing it. It felt like, wow, this here I am. I told you, I hated animating these little pixels. I was like, some people love it. I hated it. I love the idea of bringing these things to life, but I didn't like the idea of doing it in a tedious frame-by-frame thing. For me, it's tedious. Other people, it's like... Some people love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... uh, That's um, the beauty of this industry too, is that you can uh, move in different ways. Yeah. For me, it wasn't. For me, it was tedious. So motion capture, I'm like, wow, okay. Here's a way that I can very quickly build animations and stories and we can you know build worlds I'm like this is a fantastic tool so I wanted any way to get in involved in that that's why the acclaim thing was interesting because I knew everything in acclaim was was pretty much motion captured so it allowed me allowed me the wrestling game was just okay well this is the this is the game but it's going to give me more experience working On this very niche thing that they are using very extensively and so i could learn this tool i could have more access to this and and this would be very valuable to me now at that time that motion capture thing was a unique thing to me but also i was sort of like kind of guaranteeing i was leaving any chance of being an animator behind because at the time in the early you know 2000s uh those that term motion capture was poison to places like pixar and blue sky in new york I mean, literally poison. They, they looked at it like this is going to replace jobs and this is cheating and, you, can't, you know, this is ruining animation. And so the thing is, my interest in it was, um, you know, just consciously knowing that, well, okay, well, once I put this on my resume, unlike the sort of, um, you know, website stuff where I didn't want to be pigeonholed into This that, is a pigeonholing moment, yeah. I was okay with this one. Like this one was like, yeah, you know, this is where technology is going. I think this is going to be interesting. I'm embracing this. Anybody that's rejecting it um, for fear, probably rejecting it for the wrong reasons. And I just like, I'm totally, totally into this and want to learn more. And so that acclaim gave me exposure to that. Um, I shipped a my first, my actual first shipped game, which was great. That was a massive accomplishment because yep. working on games is one thing, shipping themselves. Getting to the end. Column. And, um, you know, so I managed to get a game out the door. That was pretty pretty spectacular and then i was back able to, to, to what
0: tim sweeney was saying earlier but the importance yep. of shipping
1: yeah and and he, he was exactly that and i had had many kind of at bats attempts prior but not one that completed and so that was just like uh so there was kind of a relief right once you get that first game on the you know you go to a you know uh, Babbage's or whatever the hell it was at the time, and and you know, GameStop. It might have been GameStop, but I don't know seeing if they it, it
0: seeing it on the EB, shelf. I think it was
1: EB Games or was it Electronics Boutique? They were different, they were different, but you know, but the thing yeah. is, the idea of going to a store and then seeing a game on the shelf that I worked on was like, wow, I did it. It's that uh, anyway, tangible thing, right? Yeah, it was in a But you know, for me, I was like, wow, I did this major accomplishment. I go back to New York City when the game launched. Uh, go back to New York City to you know, going to visit my family and my friends. I was so proud. I went down to um, uh, you know, like uh, you know, M- M- Mulberry Street. There's this old you know game store that sh- that sold all these like Japanese, like all these interesting like you know Japanese games. I used to go get um, like my, my kind of, you know, Japanese PlayStation games that you couldn't get yeah. in the um in the U.S. That'd and import. stuff. Yeah, import store. And I I walked in. I was so proud. And I was like, Hey, do you have legends of wrestling and the guy's like um i i don't think it's out yet i'm like no no it's out because i knew right and, and and i'm like no it's because i i worked on it right like i'm proud this is my proud moment and he he responded he's like oh i'm sorry <laughs> i was oh. like I was <laughs> like so i'm like i am like hearts i'm like slightly wow. deflating yeah, I'm like, here's my first title. I'm super excited. You go it to a store. has got no idea. He's like he's apologetic that I worked on this game. <laughs> and I'm like, really were that this time in history of games where you can like, like y- 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 there's 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 a apologies <laughs> you have to apologize for, you know, oh god, it was so funny. So I was like, yeah, even then I guess the trolling, right? Like, you know, it was it's you're 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 critiquing people making games as opposed to making them.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of I guess yeah, fairly awkward sort of moment for you, but you, yeah, you worked on uh, both both titles, uh, Legends of Wrestling one and yep. two there. But then, and this is where the the film side of things kicks in, um, and not necessarily thinking you were going to be on that path, but Sony Image Works and the likes of Beowulf, Polar Express, yep. Monster House, etc., um, all came into the mix and getting to work with some some fairly big names in various different capacities the likes of uh Robert zemeckis and steven spielberg and the like uh, with them kind of overseeing those projects what was what was that like and how did that opportunity actually emerge in the
1: first place well so the weird thing is um i i was on my after my second game of let Le, on legends um the legends of wrestling 2 was troubled from the start yeah um Legends one was less troubled, ironically. we got the game out. the studio was like kind of reinvigorated with this game, and so let's go again um and then sec the second one was delayed, struggled with production, um really should have done more it was, you should have used one as a foundation and kind of you know really done more with the second um but we kind of I think foolishly. Um, made a technical uh, decision to throw a lot of the tech away a lot of the tech of legends one and restart it on legends two with only one year and we were always playing catch up a lot of technical debt the team was disenfranchised and the game was struggling to get out and and what the game that we shipped instead of it being kind of an iterative thing um that would have been much much better than the, the the first one the delays weren't good and the sales projections that they had it it missed and acclaim was suffering at the time uh turok three or four i can't remember which turok it was. yeah it didn't hit it well it delayed as well and they couldn't get that out the door and so that so acclaim was kind of this was also a recession point at the game industry so the funny thing is yeah. if you look at 2000 2001 it was there was a point where it was a massive downturn um, and that's when Acclaim went out of business. But it wasn't just Acclaim; like it was like a ton of companies started like going out of business. I think not too long after that, THQ and like you know, these yeah, the dominoes really started game. falling for a while there. And then you know, yes, a few so years later, the global
0: cool. financial crisis. On top of that, there was a whole bunch yes, of different yep. factors that really affected a lot of developers and publishers. That's yes, right.
1: That's right. So the game industry was kind of in a downturn. Um, I I was at this studio that Acclaim, you know, was making decisions on what studios were they going to keep and what were they going to close to kind of keep go- things going. And it was a toss up between Austin and Salt Lake city. Austin studio was the Turok studio. And yeah. they, and and that was a big studio, you know, very successful studio for many years, but so was the Salt Lake studio when it had the WWE license, but when they lost that license and they kind of kind of recalibrated to try to figure out what kind of wrestling games they could make without the license, the legends, you know, kind of that became a, a thing, how they could kind of make, a wrestling game without the WWE license by going to the wrestlers directly kind of thing. And it did sell, but not at the, not at the 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 e-game sold. And so they made the decision to close the studio down. So I was, was at a place where I'm like, well, okay, I think I want to leave. I don't meaning I want to leave Salt Lake. I was looking at game opportunities there. There weren't a ton. Microsoft was there at the time making a baseball game. I don't know that I wanted to stay in sports. I, I, you know, uh, I think I, I wanted to do more of the kinds of games storytelling. That, yeah, not shiny Naughty Dog, the Matrix game at the time was something like wow, that would be something to be a part of. Yeah, um, Jack and Daxter; uh, those were the kinds of things I wanted to be a part of. But um, what, to be if, if if I'm being honest, the big challenge, very ironic thing that I had was my resume just and my portfolio from the games perspective just didn't look good. Didn't add up. Right not really because acclaim wasn't considered a a top studio um and you know we weren't we were doing motion capture you know wrestling things and when you go to shiny who is you know technologically savvy the earthworm gym guys the matrix stuff was looking like really forward like you know at the time like really advanced naughty dog was doing jack and daxter there just wasn't a lot of hope for me they were very you know it was it, it just wasn't they look down at the kind of stuff that i was doing or not not like you know they just didn't they didn't they weren't impressed by it so did you um, consider I, applying
0: at all or did, was that never really you just did you just apply, know i did not well, i did I, so okay. i
1: applied i applied it i applied it shiny i can talk about this because they're gone but the thing is i apply it shiny i didn't apply it naughty dog um i actually that probably didn't occur to me and part of the reason was this while i Love studios like Naughty Dog. I was still on this course of trying to use the knowledge that I had, which was the interest, which was more mature games using motion capture. Things like Grand Theft Auto would have made more sense for me. Shiny was doing a Matrix game. I looked at that and I'm like, this is a logical progression. So I applied at Shiny. They were looking for people doing, you know, um, animation that included motion capture. I was totally like enamored with that. Got out there to meet them went through the interview process and they just were like uh not good enough and so it just didn't go anywhere and i never got a call back it was kind of a no and then i went back to salt lake trying to like kind of square one figuring okay microsoft seemed like maybe an opportunity i didn't i didn't go heavily into you know i didn't like apply it like 12 different studios i applied a a few very select ones. Yeah, the one I wanted, I got rejected at. And then, of course, what's funny is I see this ad for Sony Imageworks doing this motion capture film called The Polar Express, and they had a four-month contract. And I was like, well, maybe this would be, I'll I'll apply, what's the harm? And it was only four months. Now, the scary thing was to go from Salt Lake to move for a four-month job in LA seemed a bit reckless, but and film seemed probably impossible but I had nothing to lose by trying right I'm like well was probably no so I couldn't get a job in the game industry in in the studios I wanted but right off the bat after I had a one-day interview with Imageworks they were like we don't know why we need you but they say that we do so (laughs) they offered me a job because they didn't know what I did yeah they didn't know what I did and and they they just knew that I was involved with this technology that was um integral to the film and the people at the top of the film knew they needed people from that just had experience of which was limited and so they um they said you know here's a here's an offer i yeah. work for four months and i'm like well um yeah i mean it seemed it seemed kind of hard to palate for me that i couldn't find a job in games or it, i couldn't get i couldn't get a job at the studio i wanted in games but then all of a sudden i'm in film and the weird part is that it's backwards because really I shouldn't have been able to get that film job. I think at the time, skill wise, yes, I should have been more, you know what I mean? Just in terms of where the mediums were in terms of level of respect and admiration. Somehow like it worked out. Yeah, well, I don't know. Again, the funny thing is they, they, the day that I interviewed, they asked me for my reel and I was terrified because the same reel that I'd showed Shiny, which they basically walked me out the door, mm-hmm. I... I, I brought it and, and, and I can't, or I think I asked, do you want to see my reel maybe? I don't, and they said, no, no need. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, thank God. I thinking that the reel would have destroyed. You thought that might sink I, you? Yeah, I thought for sure. But actually, ironically, I think that the reel for them wouldn't have mattered because it was much more about technical experience, understanding of the processes and just needing people who who could help? They were so understaffed that I think the real wouldn't matter, honestly. Yeah. But it, but but um, I mean that's I was lucky enough to not have to test that out. Regardless, I probably you know like I said, I, it is very likely that they could have seen the real, looked at the work from this Legend, legends, of wrestling stuff, and said no, screw it. Just like the guy in New York that was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that was yeah. you know. But once I got in the door at Imageworks, Works, uh, it changed everything because now all of a sudden, I'm at one of the top effects facilities on the planet in terms of respect because they had just delivered spider-man and spider-man was the, movie at the time. it was yeah. it, right it was the biggest superhero movie this is well before the marvel universe actually even started right so they had just they had essentially defined you know digital character in film uh next to Gollum for lord of the rings like they was it was it was weta and it was image and it was pretty pretty spectacular so it was just like right place right time and all of a sudden right just being, yeah. So mm-hmm. just being there for, you know, those four months, which actually didn't end up being four months, it ended up being five years, but being there changed the perception of the game studios looking at me. Yeah. Because because now I wasn't going in with this perception of acclaim, not really a great, you know, not, not well regarded in the game industry. Yeah, it's and the
0: prestige that, of where you've been working yeah. that, that helps. Yep. Regardless so, of the fact so, it wasn't the same
1: industry. Yeah. So that basically, um, ironically, uh, six months into being at, uh, at ImageWorks, I had an opportunity to go to Naughty Dog and I was yeah, offered a job. Yeah. I think it was six months. I was, it was, this would have been around 2003. They were starting this project called the Big Project and they were leaving Jack and Daxter and trying to figure out how they would utilize motion capture and they knew that they needed to do more realistic stuff met with yep. uh you know the team and you know andy and jason and, and some of the original you know um bob Raffy, and, and we talked about they were like this we want we, we we don't know what the game is yet um but we know it's going to be kind of in the vein of a grand theft auto big action you know and i'm like wow like this is shocking it's a shocking departure for but they were you know evan wells they, oh, well, they, they were just article. like well, this is where we this is where we're, where the industry's going and we don't want to be behind And like they were absolutely right it was super cool and i was like so like yes yes this is what i need to do so i i accepted that job um but i didn't go <laughs> so i accepted a job in 2003 at naughty dog but uh ultimately at the last minute had to um reconsider because of circumstances. well no leaving Imageworks at the time was in pretty bad shape on Polar Express it was really hard to find people and they kind of came to me and they said you know please don't leave now and uh, as much as I absolutely desperately wanted to go to Naughty Dog and I absolutely did I wanted to be in games um, I was in this weird position where the, this um, this studio that I was like, wow! I really met all these great people, and I really liked the film. The film was doing something really special and new, and it was crazy. and And it was like, you know, I, I probably, but so was this. Naughty Dog was going to be doing the same things. So it was very tough, but I felt like I I felt I, I called Evan and I said I, I, I desperately want to come work with you. I just said I just don't think I can right now, and I hope you understand. and I apologize that. Um, if i leave them here now i think it leaves them in a pretty bad position and and i do want to see this film through so that was and i'm sure they did too well that's what evan said so evan said you know what i really appreciate he said if you were here and you were you know had the same opportunity i would you know I, i would hope that you would do the same thing here and so i can totally respect you doing it there and ultimately uh it what it did for me which is you know what was kind of amazing is it let it it gave me a a dialogue with one of the most prestigious studios in video games. They knew who I was. I I almost got there. Yeah, they um, wanted you. Yeah, and I, I think I think it was better off that I didn't go. To be honest, again, I don't think I was ready. Um, I I that's just my I don't think I had learned everything I wanted to and could have learned, and I I would have probably been. Lesser for them, have going, having gone at that yep. time, and uh, I might have failed, to be honest. I might have actually gone and not succeeded at the level that I would have liked to. Who knows? But ultimately, um, it created a relationship between me and some of the keys, like uh, Bob and and Evan, at least a dialogue, and uh, Candace Walker, who was the you know recruiter at the time, and we always kept in touch. And so after uh, Image Works, I managed to take a job at playstation in san diego Uh, i had my first child and i wanted to kind of get out of la yeah and they had this amazing mocap facility amazing you know you know open field of technology innovation and i was like oh my god and they were almost going to close it down like it was at the end of its legs because people like naughty dog weren't using it and insomniac weren't using it and more and and more was in house What's that? More and more of their work was in-house. Like you know, no, kept, they were going. They were way. going to vendors because the quality of the work wasn't good enough. Yeah. Okay. So they had these. They had this fantastic facility, but they didn't have the people to deliver the quality that they needed. So they were in. And and frankly, this is an irony too, because while I was at a claim, I experienced the same thing. Like I wasn't getting the quality of the work from the New York studio uh, out of the mocap, you know, stuff that was coming to Utah. Yes. So I ended up pushing to go outside when I was at a claim to get better, to get work outside. So I understood. I understood why they weren't using the internal services because they weren't they weren't giving quality and they were not delivering on time and they were a production risk. So I went there and I called Evan immediately and said, Hey, I'm here. And I, I said, let me look at what's happening here and maybe we can maybe I can find a way for us to work together from here and uh, he said oh yeah sure I mean he was over it like he you know he was like they were already moved on they'd shipped Uncharted 1 and they'd kind of figured out their processes and were pretty deep into using um, uh, at the time House of Moves which was their mocap partner and they were using Technicolor for animation but I was kind of convinced that I thought I could do a better job and I was like well I saw the quality of the stuff they had and I thought well I could build something better for you so I kind of was my mission was to to build the learning from image works and build uh better tools that they would want to use and that would be a good partner and so we did that so they were open to it and we resuscitated that group and then ultimately instead of working for naughty dog i ended up working you know with them so
0: that was yeah which is which is a really fascinating and obviously it wasn't just Naughty Dog, it's a host of the the internal studios there as well as a few external, as I was noticing that, you know, t- uh, touching with DICE and a few a few other EA studios as well mm-hmm. and in various different capacities and like. Um, so you, you've kind of touched on how that, that opportunity emerged and what about that continued growth from that point? Because as you said, you, you just resuscitated it. You and, yep. you know, the team had resuscitated uh, VASG at that point and um, all of these opportunities that then followed how so how did it grow up to occur the,
1: so, so the 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 end of a claim so if if a claim had not gone away or at least the studio in Salt Lake which is you know at the time felt tragic but if it hadn't gone away maybe I wouldn't have gone to LA and maybe I wouldn't have worked on the Polar Express right maybe yeah. there's a possibility and I was itching to leave anyway but uh, but but you you when you when you're with a team you build this rapport, you build these these friendships. You love these people, and so that can be difficult sometimes to walk away from, as much as you don't maybe love the art uh, that you're working on, as much as yeah. the game doesn't speak to you. Um, but the it's problem the teams is and the people to that you
0: work with. Yep.
1: Yeah, they took that. That was taken away. The guilt of anything about walking away would have been was taken away because the studio was taken away. So I was like, I'm free. Image Works, in some ways, the same thing happened. After, because again, I kept. Staying, I was like, I did three films there and then a fourth film. And I kind of wanted to leave. Honestly, after every film, I'm like, I want to go. And not because I hated it there, but because I wanted to, I really wanted to be in games. Like I, I, that was where my passion was. Um, And that's kind of what I, I guess I, you know, the, the, uh, you heard the term, um, what do they call it? Um, Imposter syndrome.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. I think I felt that in film. I felt like I didn't belong. I wasn't belong. good enough, and I had. I think imposter syndrome was more of the, on the film side. I felt like I i I belong in games. I don't think I'm good enough for film, um, and or whatever. So ultimately, I was looking to 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 find. You know, but but I would say this at the end of the film piece in in the Image Works days, Bob Zemeckis. Took his movies away from ImageWorks to build his own studio called Image Movers. And so there was this, they had lost those kinds of movies. Yeah. And I was either, I was going to, Image, ImageWorks asked me to stay, even though Bob went, and they wanted me to sign a couple of year co- contract to stay um because they still wanted to retain the knowledge they still liked the, the you know the performer the, the top performers there and I was one of the top performers in our department um and so they were I was very gracious that they did offer me that um, but it, but I but I but I didn't know what I'd be working on and, and the films that I was kind of interested in or the games that I wanted were all kind of this cg character performance that stuff really I love that stuff and so seeing that happen in games like with uncharted and stuff like that at the time felt like oh this is where we can take this knowledge we can yeah. take it from here and take it over there and elevate it there and, and it's where the heart lie as well with yeah all those exactly years of experience. yeah so so basically um the department was kind of dim- like kind of scaling down and a lot of the people were leaving so i and and i managed to take them with me to san diego so that I like, took a lot of the knowledge that we we had to build the pipeline for the film stuff and just brought it down to San Diego, and uh, then what was it, what was cool was they were just starting to figure it out. Um, we had way more resources attacking the problem, way more in the image work side. So the advancements yeah. were very good, very just because of the amount of resources we we're putting on it. Yeah. So we were kind of years ahead. Years ahead. Of where they were Everyone going to be, yeah. yeah, and so I was able to build this team getting ready for where they were going to land. And yeah, okay. that's this, handy. Yeah, and they were doing stuff still in like pre-rendered, so their cinematics were still rendered. Uh, they were not real time. A lot of the cinematics that you know the team was you know doing was still composited, you know, in um, Nuke or After Effects, and and you know just. Plates and just traditional kind of film stuff. And I'm like, well, for games, that doesn't make sense. We got to get prepared for real time. So I kind of shut down all of the the pre rendered stuff and was preparing for the future of real time and pushing advancements into taking the stuff we learned at ImageWorks, but getting it to work in real time. So it was connecting these two things and then um, convincing people like Evan and, um, you know, Amy and, you know ted price um and some of the producers really key stakeholders yeah to kind of to kind of take a risk with these new processes that would lead to you know utilize scanning for their characters bring in you know digital cinematography which no one had ever knew had heard of like that was not even a thing right so i was like we're going to put these you know sensors on a camera and we're going to move cameras around so we're not you know having um animators who kind of don't understand uh cinema you know you know camera language yeah and how to you know and don't understand editorial like they don't you know they didn't like a lot of them did yeah, it's I'm not, not a slide on them, but it's a skill it thing. wasn't common it wasn't common and so you didn't see a lot of that knowledge there and so it was like listen this is this is the kind of stuff we needed to do you were kind of taking the tools like the same way motion capture Brought, took you know instead of me having to animate the damn thing we hire an actor well yep. with the virtual with the virtual cinematography I could hire a cameraman so instead of having to have to you know you know talk to an animator or how we want the camera to 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 be behave we could hire the camera operators so it was more bringing the film processes to playstation in the games that were willing to um experiment yeah and
0: so oh, obviously you spoke about all the people you were talking to from from ted to evan to amy and, and more was there a, and, and you're pitching this idea something that was foreign for the most part uh, to mm-hmm. everyone trying to get everyone on board at the same time was that like was that a real challenge or did it take one person to take that risk that would then snowball um, in your eyes or what, what were you trying you, to achieve as you uh, were presenting your
1: your inclinations are correct right so from my perspective was I didn't need to convince everybody. I just needed to convince a few people of a few different things. Yeah. And and the key was just like, and, you know, don't talk about stuff, just do stuff. So it was, it was, you know, the what I what I would tell you that the hardest part was this. And this is this was the most delicate line that I had to tread, which was I'm a fast talker, I'm a New Yorker, I'm I've got a salesman sh- sort of ship about me. Which is great for some people and off putting for others. Yeah. But I, I mainly it's because of how passionate I am about it. But it wasn't a thing that I was trying to sell people that couldn't be done. I was trying to sell them something I already knew how to do. Yeah. And what I was what the, the goal was just keep t- attacking them until somebody it, believes you. Yeah. And and then and, and and the first person to believe me on there's a couple pieces of it right. So for the digital cinematography side, the first person to believe me was a guy called Chris Nichols, who was an animation director on on Resistance Two. Yeah, okay. Resi- Resistance One did not use any motion capture, and it and it you know it was it was very traditionally made, um, and Resistance Two. We, you know, talked to Chris. He was he was very he was like me, kind of a futurist, kind of interested in technology. And so he introduced the idea of motion capture, which also was kind of controversial at the time because it's in game studios, not unlike the the Pixar and and Blue Skies. A lot of the game studios rejected using things like motion capture if you weren't yeah. a sports title. And the reason for that was because animators didn't necessarily get into the business of animation so that they could clean up motion capture curves. They saw it as a as a as a kind of a monkey job. And there was a rejection of that. So one part was like, you kind of had to go to war with whole departments of people who didn't want to use these things. And then um, you also had to go to war with people who thought they were good cinematographers and who, who understood camera because, you know, and then you kind of come across as this kind of, well, know it all and, and like a foreigner. I mean, like I was, yeah. I, the fascinating thing for me was that they were, they were labeling me the film guy. That was one part of the the attract, but from the game developer side, it was it was actually a rejection because they're like, well, you don't know games. I'm like, yeah, I do know. Not, this is not your medium, <laughs> get out of here. I'm like, I know games and I've done time in film, but also the stuff that I did in film was basically video game versions of films. So I'm like, you know, but but it, but, but it, it was, a, so that was a little bit of a uphill battle yeah. uh, to kind of convince some people to adopt some of these things easily Um, but Chris was super on board he he was like let's 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 do whatever you have like he's like well yeah this digital cinematography stuff absolutely so he if you look back at resistance um, behind the scene videos you'll see Ted talking about the early camera innovations because that was the first game to ever use it Um, and you know we brought that from Beowulf right so it was like in PlayStation nothing before that had used that method. Yeah. Um, and and then from there, most games started to use some form of it, right? Like they started looking at you are like, wow, this looks like, I remember looking at the early reviews of resistance stuff in the cinematics. They said that it looks like Ridley Scott made this. And that was just mainly the fact that you were going from, you know, this, this, this language of trying to like figure it out with animated mouse stuff to, putting it in a hand of a cameraman who understood framing and and lens choice no i mean i
0: remember all that myself like uh i mean we discussed before the recording and anyone who kind of listens to the show knows this full well that i I do have a little bias uh, favorable bias towards all things playstation but even (laughs) even in the last 12 months so i played through the resistance titles and the yeah, the change in that particular space is one of the most noticeable things about that transition from Resistance: Fall of Man to Resistance Two, and it's it's actually really interesting to get that little bit
1: of context now that you're providing. So, so then, so that was happening at the same time I was reconnecting with Evan, trying to convince him to allow me to kind of take part in the mocap pipeline for him. Yeah. Uh, and that was a bit of a harder fight because San Diego was not something that made sense for them to shoot. So yeah, okay. Well, what ended up happening was, I said, "Okay, um, how can we start working together? How can I start using the stuff that I've learned here to help you?" And he, he was totally open to it. He was like, "Well," um, and I and I I, I don't remember exactly. I probably said to him like, well, "What about animation? What if I build because we didn't have an animation team at all? Yeah, um, I didn't even have an animator." <laughs> but I was like, "I want to, I want to, I want to," you know take on the Uncharted 2 animation work. And I met with Josh Scherer and Josh Scherer said, well, yeah, you know, take the animation test. And if you guys pass the animation test, we should definitely consider it, right? So um, I hired people just to do the animation test. Um, I hired one animator, one one friend from Imageworks who was a, fin- this. the key starts at the leadership. It wasn't about like this bait and switch thing. It was like, okay, if I could get this animation soup from Imageworks to come down with me uh, which I did convince him to come down. His name is Tom Bland. He came down. I felt with Tom we could build an apartment and we could yep. bring the level of uncharted facial animation stuff to the level of the stuff that we were doing on, you know, uh, at the at, at ImageWorks and he had, he was working in Avatar at the time. So I was like, "Okay, come come down here and let's build this together." And I and I, I and I got Josh to agree to let, let us do the test. And um what we did is we, we you know just hired animators uh whoever we could find so the funny thing is they weren't even the best animators at the time yeah you know, okay. i got a very rigorous policy of hiring animators they would go through these massive tests massive massive tests i've, I've heard a little bit about them yeah and and if you failed you, that's it i didn't do that we just hired whoever we could find because i believe that tom could get them to, to the level now foolish maybe um but i was like you know I, I we hired people that could get us through the test and i'm like i relied on tom to get them to the level we needed and that ultimately um was worked so what was funny is that um the test that we showed to amy and to um josh they said that our first pass of animation was better than the final passes that technicolor was i don't want to badmouth technicolor they're yeah i think that gone but but the point was it's only it's only because of the fact that this was coming from Imageworks. Works, like you, you, that's why the level of quality that was coming was coming from the expectation of film. So of course, kind of right, like yeah, because at that point I mean, that
0: technology is ahead of where we're at, and you, well, again, you're just, trying to bring everyone up to that sort of pace at this some point. Some
1: of it's tech, some of it's tech, but some of it's just expectation. Image Work had a higher bar, yeah. Whereas Technicolor was working at the game bar, yeah. and so we were working at the film bar, and we brought that to the test. And they saw it and they were like, you guys got to work. And so we built a team. And what we did to, on the animation side was use the practice of supervisors and scale. And that, that took the burden of Naughty Dog because instead of them having to be really picky about their animators and who was gonna work at Naughty Dog, um, I would basically say, well, we're gonna use this leadership level to bring whoever we find to get them to the level. Of, of what we needed and yes. um, we could scale that easier. So I could hire 40 animators in two months, whereas Naughty Dog could hire two in the yeah, same okay. period because of the rigorous testing. And yeah. so they were not like, how the hell are you able to hire this many people? How are you guys able to deliver this much work? We just had philosophical differences. I was coming from a film animation attacking the problem from that side. That's how it scaled up for us. And then And then on, so once we had them and we were now partners, in animation, now we could kind of revisit the motion capture conversation. And this was like, well, okay, look, I think that now that we're animating this stuff, the quality of the mocap you're getting and the data is very poor. And you guys are having to animate way more than you should. And our animators are having to make, work way harder than they should. And we could not only save costs, but increase the quality if we actually did this internally. And so you're if right. I, so I, so I said, yeah, but they said, well, we we will use a, your mocap stage if you build one in L.A. So I said, sure. So I'll build one in L.A. And then we built one in L.A. And then and that that opened the and door and it. we started collaborating from, yeah, from the mocap. So then we had the mocap part of the pipeline. We had the animation cinematic part of the pipeline. And then we started the third segment for an olly dog was, okay, now we're going to start taking on the character faces and the character rigs and then the, um, and the you know, building... The technology behind what you would see leading to like ellie in the last of us 2 right the culmination of all this yeah. knowledge and and then so that 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 those were the three segments so you kind of build upon this relationship and then you take the like you're just taking taking knowledge from this this yeah. the, the image work side and bringing it in as early as possible wherever we could
0: no no that makes that makes a lot of sense on the on the day-to-day level especially once everything was really established and you uh, like the studios all kind of understood you and the team, and what you're about, and the technology you were bringing, and the skill set that you had, and what you could bring to their titles. What was that like on a day to day basis? Where, I mean, you know, if, if anyone goes and looks at your credits, you've, uh, you and the uh, you and the team are involved in so many different first party titles, but again, also some EA related titles as well. Um, what was that day to day like? Because you'd be you'd be touching so many different titles, and you know at different points. So I'd imagine that your involvement would drift in and out at certain stages. But what was
1: that like? Well, in the beginning, I was, it it just changed, evolved over time. In the beginning, I was shooting cameras. Uh, I was editing data. I was, you know, um, I was doing like hands-on work on the projects. Like Resistance 2, I was hands-on. I I shot probably half of it, edited, you know, the, 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 the cameras. I was evaluating what was coming out of the systems and also negotiating with technology partners, um, you know, trying to build systems that were, um, the stuff that I wanted to advance, um, yeah. while I was also building the team. So like, you know, okay, I want to, um, you know, build the animation team out. So we would, you know, we're, we're, you know, hiring more people from ImageWorks. I wanted to build a layout department, a pre-visualization department that was also big in, in film, which was okay, well pre-visualization is part of how you get to a place where you get these games to look like movies it's it's in back room we have an idea here's a script and how do we make turn this into something that is like looks like a you know michael bay action sequence yeah and there's, there's entire businesses in you know the third floor and that, that that does that and and in in Los Angeles and London and in Sydney, wherever but the thing is we t- we made that as a segment of our offering right so we we would previsual pre-visualize that piece and then you would go and shoot the performance capture on it and then you would um, uh, do the camera work on, on top of it so but my involvement changed over time as the business scaled right so in the beginning I was you know an artist hands-on also managing um, and and then trying to figure out where the opportunities were to grow the partnerships, to be the best value to PlayStation. But my value was sort of personal, right? Like I wanted to advance these games as high as I could, and yeah. I, it, the, the it was you know, and I'm just saying from a personal level, um, it didn't mean that I was I you know I I I was just a part of the people that you know that were doing anything that was you know trying to push stuff forward i was just a part of it so yeah. that, that i wanted to build a a team that was like ilm for video games and that you know when we partnered with people like naughty dog or we partnered with people like gorilla i mean we were making you know games that were kind of just you know inconceivable at the time in terms of experience and quality and you know uh, you know visual fidelity and believability like one of my first presentations to sony was it was it was about the uncanny valley because that was the topic that why we were just that was all we talked about for five years at at, at imageworks and the uncanny valley was like you know these characters that were just dead eye looking non-believable scary things and it's like look well this is going to be our conversation we have to figure out how to overcome this and the, a lot of the ways that, that they wanted to overcome it, the developers at the time, was to avoid realism. Right. Yeah, so okay. they would, you would, you would go and, and say, we'd stylize characters and kind of create what we called, you know, hyper realism or stylized realism. And, and so you can navigate comp- around
0: that big point of concern. Well,
1: that was, where they, that was where a lot of the game directors and art directors, because there was fear. There was fear that if you know if we did these characters and scanned them and made them real they're going to look like they're going to look scary and you're going to reject them because graphically we were getting like the, the, the we could do more realistic characters but if they didn't animate well and if they and if the shaders and the surface and the lighting wasn't looking good you had Plenty of articles on the internet skewering people games that were like, man, these are creepy looking things. Now yep. it didn't affect game sales the same way I think it affect affected viewership in film, but people were certainly wanting to stay away from it. So one of the first games that we tackled to kind of overcome that was a game called SOCOM 4. Yep. And we, you know, they had their lead character. Artist, you know at the time had finished all of their heroes had gotten them approved through the entire playstation chain which is not an insignificant issue so that in every region japan europe ticked um, off everywhere america well well they had they had these character models were all approved by every region and so what happens is that that's so difficult to do that you 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 you're literally at the final part of your character development process when that's happened and here i come and i say guys these characters don't look good they look like not they don't look like current gen they look like a generation behind minimally and yeah, i'm right. like we we should not release this game with these characters at this fidelity level when i know we could get them to a fidelity that's higher if we use scanning is they were doing a military game that was, that was realism. So it needed realism. So what basically, um, what I you know, talked to the team, talked to the creative director, talked to the executives at Sony and said, give me a chance to show you what it looks like if we scan these characters and cast actors that look like the characters you're trying to make. Yeah. So here's a character you want you know you're picking your film reference right like this is going to look like this guy this 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 girl's going to look Yeah, like you got a girl. point of reference let, hey. right so let me find models that look like these characters and we did one um the guy was so funny we did the first character we did was the character Rizad, who was the enemy the big enemy of socom 4 and it happened to be one of the old employees nonet vargas who was a my operations manager said this looks like this guy that used to work here. I'm like, really? And he looked just like him. So we brought this guy and scanned him, and and Tom, that animation supervisor from a char- charter that I told you, we were, you know, we'd finished that project, so he was going to be an animation supervisor on this one, and then Karen showed, who's the art director of That's No Moon, was, was yeah. you know, a character artist there at the time, and we were like, look, we can build a competitive character rig using scanning, and actually with the exact same amount of you know, polygons, vertices, actually I like bones, all the same exact technical specifications that they had, but using the technology and some of the stuff we had, that we could get a much higher fidelity result. And this game would look like it was surpassing Uncharted. It would look okay. like a, a generation leap ahead. And I went to them and said, guys, let me do this test. They agreed to the test. The developer agreed to the test they're like they really didn't want to do it so i'm not gonna lie like it was one of those things it was like you know sure, why not we like you you're an interesting guy but the problem is you're this a little too late maybe for the next game yeah. and i'm like well i don't we have enough time right we can do these characters really quickly and i'll get the approval process will be fast because these are actors so we'll just show these the 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 three territories what actor we're using it's going to look just like that and um they were so defeated. I mean, honestly, they were so kind of like, oh my God, this guy is coming in here and he's just destroying things. So I basically, um, we did this test that was, they had their old character. They had the new one that was using scan technology that was then made for film quality animation with the exact limitations that they had given us. I did the test and I said, here you go, guys. You know, tell me what you want to do, Yeah, right? Like." And then they were left with this really rough decision, which was like, okay, this looks like smoke and mirrors. This doesn't look real. This is probably not like we had to go and provide this brief that showed them how the how we did it, how we did what we did, so that they didn't think it was like you know some smoke and mirrors pre-rendered thing. Um, and but you know they agreed in the end to allow us to do it. And we had to we had just a couple months to basically redo every hero character and um turn that game from at least visually from the character side, something that I think would have been a generation minimally behind to a generation forward. And and That's we you know, that so so that that was the character stuff that kind of gave us then the ability to take that to the next other teams that were still doing yeah. the old style of stylized game characters and say, no, no like like, we would do it would this way. This? Let's go. So you just need one. You need one game that you can kind of find at that time that was, like, open to allowing experimentation and trusted me enough, which probably they shouldn't have, but trusted me enough to to allow an opening to prove that we could do it. And then each time we proved that we could do it, uh, it was a success. And then multiple games post that just... Be, that became more of a ah okay well of course that's we'll part that. of the process
0: right yeah yeah right that's that's fascinating so yeah we, we've kind of looked at the the day-to-day at this point and obviously this we we've started to get a bit of an understanding here for how that that cycle kind of looked and obviously it extended for quite quite a period they're working with all, all of the in-house studios but as we start to to move on from there ultimately you departed the studio Mm-hmm. and we've worked towards that's no, moon, uh, that's no Moon Sorry, I'm just having a moment yeah. there that's, that's No Moon So how did all of that transpire for you? Now I understand that there's been some reporting earlier in the year, and I'm not going to necessarily t- dive too much into that because I'm sure there's limitations of what can and can't be said and there's
1: mm.
0: things that have maybe been there's things that are true there's things that are not there's context all those sorts of things but um, for you personally what was, what was going on in your head at the time that uh, led to okay, we're it, Time to turn over a new leaf, a new chapter.
1: Well, again, if you look back, and, and I, I, you know, sometimes, I, I tell you, like, the 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 general moves that I've made have been just sort of, like, they were just, the timing was sort of lucky, or you kind of, there was a there was just a guiding thing. It felt, okay, well, it's time. Like I said, even at Imageworks, I'm like, I, I had this desire to get back. I had a desire to get back to games. Uh, I've never lost the desire to be back in game development at the yep. studio level. That was never, I, what it, what happened, just like at Imageworks, is I never lost my love for games. I just fell in love with with the films. I, I fell in yep. love with what we were doing there. And so when those films stopped, it was like a logical point for me to say, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. Like, this is the time to kind of go back to, you know, my first love. Well, I clearly fell in love with PlayStation. Like, there's no question that every part of that business spoke to me. It was everything I wanted to do. But there's still always been this itch to get back to the development, being back at the, the 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 not just kind of being in the ILM supporting. ILM is a tougher example because because um, you know, it's it, visual effects are a little bit different, but. But it's still supporting the vision of someone else, and while I do love that, I do I always wanted to get back to having ownership of the game vision and building the project and um, being a startup again. Like there was unfinished business there from when I was in high school. That you know, Tim Sweeney said, you know, you've got to finish your first game. I didn't. And, you know, I wanted to do that. I wanted to on my own close that um, part of my personal story. So this sense. was a, this was, this was a, this was, it. you know, just like I had felt like also at Imageworks, I had learned everything I needed to learn here. I felt like I had I grabbed all the knowledge and got to play in the fields and, and, and work with some incredible directors and learn so much that uh, I could go back to this other place and plant new seeds and and you know take the learnings back but also grow with the industry because that that i love and this just felt like the next logical step of that exact feeling like i had i kind of i peaked in some ways at playstation yeah right does that make sense like i've done but,
0: everything i can within,
1: yeah. within these constraints right and 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 there there it would be there was so much more that i could and wanted to do but it also kind of needed to be done uh out of studio it needed to be yep. done from a being a game developer and being you know then a little bit more um ability to say okay we want to do tv shows that is i can go to the outside world and find cra- people people crazy enough to maybe want to do it um, and it doesn't have to be something that impairs the budget of the company that's not part of their overall objective in that regard. Yep. So it's it's not seen as a, as, a, as, a, as a, you know what I mean? Like it's it's not t- taking anything away. Yeah, it's, it's, to- it's additive to whatever partner that I could find to do it. And I didn't have that kind of ability at Sony to say, well, Uncharted is mine. It's not mine. So I couldn't go and say, well, let's make an Uncharted this or you know that. It's not mine to do so. So... Um, or 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 any other IP, or, right? And and so this this is much more of the ability to say, well, we want to do this game, and then from this game we want to do these things. And there's a little more ownership, a little more empowerment, which are also part of the pillars of the company uh, that are more about empowerment at the um, you know personal level. But yep. but I think that also speaks to the leadership of the company here too like all of the people here have more ownership more empowerment less restrictions which is a normal kind of a thing that happens at a startup it's the reason people leave larger companies to go to start something up it's it's you know a uh, big fish small pond uh, a yeah, small pond yeah, of course. And, and, you know whatever so the thing is it was like this is a yeah, we, this is this is just a little bit. There's it's a little easier to 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 do um, to have more direct control of those things, but there's more risk, far more risk. You know, it's it, it all of the systems and technologies. It's like you built this NASA level facility to launch like like you know stuff into space, and then you walk away from it, and then you're kind of like you know you're 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 launching rockets um, you know, trying to find like like, you know, just trying to trying to f- find plutonium, like, you know what I mean? From, yeah, from weird sources. Just like whatever. It's just you have to you have to do it very differently. So we um we uh was making a very bad back of the future kind of analogy like Doc Brown. We just it's just you're 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 kinda of, you're having to be more creative in how you execute, which was not unlike what I was doing at the beginning of PlayStation anyway, right? Like yes yeah. I had this I, I did. I didn't have all of those those things either. There, I had them at ImageWorks, right? We built them up at ImageWorks. Then I walked away from ImageWorks and brought them over they, there. They didn't. No, but see, this is the two thing. I didn't two. bring them over. We had to rebuild them. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, they, it, they they didn't come with me. The people came with me, but we rebuilt them. And and so it's kind of the same idea. Like I, there are two separate companies, ImageWorks and PlayStation. And you know, while they're a part of the Sony, you know, they they're that's just not. You know they just don't like hand this stuff over and ultimately it's even harder than that because it's they kind of belong also sometimes to the production shows like if you're making beowulf is a paramount movie then that's not necessarily theirs to some degree right
0: Things yeah, yeah like that.
1: so so for, for for us it was like okay you're starting over and that's exciting too because um starting with a blank canvas um can be really exciting the, yeah, well, like that was we I just do this talk at, at uh, Gamescom Asia about that even just from the marketing and social like just the 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 communications Scott Low coming over from Naughty Dog. You know, again, he is a he's a he's an influencer in the machine, but he he's got to also conform to the bigger parts of the machine. So there's ideas and stuff that he'd love to try that might not be possible unless he's at a, a higher level, and so him coming here, the the idea is to just yeah do it right. Like well, there's really no hierarchy. It's just you. You run the whole thing. So he's like, these are the these are the partners. This is how I want to you know brand us. This is who you know what how I want to market it. And you're like, who who do we have to get permission from? Like no one. Right. Yeah, right. So it's like now you, you get, get to invent your own rules. In 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 each of these areas and that i think was what was such a cool opportunity for all of these veterans that that had been doing these things at you know these major um developers or you know massive successful publishers and then kind of going grassroots and a little more control and i think that there's no insidious thing there there's no like playstation is one of the best marketing companies on the planet like i mean i mean who does it better than they do it um and so you kind of need to conform to to the way they're doing it which is working um and it doesn't mean that you know these other ideas are better than what they're doing it just means that they can't be tested or you know played with or the you don't have yeah, the agency. that structure
0: yeah
1: yeah and so um so that was that that's 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 what kind of more of the veterans have here at this new that's new moon company
0: no, that, that's fantastic to hear and certainly presents its own challenges as, again, like you said, in describing the transition from Imageworks to, to PlayStation there, building from scratch, which allows you to potentially reflect on things that did and didn't work before and get to yeah rebuild in a, in a new way, tweak little things. Obviously, there's been a lot of change over the course of the years as well. So lots of new things that you can look to implement or embed from and- from,
1: again, that grassroots level that you described. And, when, and without getting into what we're doing now because I can't really share that but the yeah. thing is when you look at it, Taylor and Jacobs you know at the game leadership level right like they have had you know the last decade plus across the two two of the most successful studios in video games you know of them right like Naughty yes. Dog and Infinity Ward and to be able to take the learnings from both of those studios, which they influenced very, you know, greatly too, but to imagine being able to take the learnings from both of those and then come back and, and do beginning. something with again, but with with you know, sort of a blank canvas again, and you just sit there and you're like, yeah, why why would they not want to do that, right? Like why 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 what would be the downside to that? So there's way more upsides to the creative leadership here than downsides and it has and it but it's has nothing to do with anything negative that's the funny part it's actually just more about um aspirational opportunity and blank canvases and starting something new is both massively difficult and you know um i i think that some people are intimidated uh by how um lack of the resources lack of the structure uh, that that can be very frustrating to a well, lot some of people. people. Like
0: being that cog in the machine that's well established, and they yeah. can go in and they can do yeah. their bit, and then they can go home at the yeah. end of the day. You know how
1: you fit in, right? You know yeah. how you fit in, and so so here there's there's no infrastructure, right? There yeah. and and if you know that attracts a certain mindset of people that are totally interested in. You know, I don't need that. I want to build the structure. I want to yeah. build the ideas. I want to, I want to figure out how we're going to make this from nothing. um There's a lot of people that look at that and they're like, "That's that's that's the thing. That's what I want to do." Sorry, right? I'm having trouble hearing you. Ah, that was my phone.
0: <laughs> no, not a problem at all. Um, no, I mean that that would be really exciting for for anyone that's that's joining, but also yourself and others at the top level there that are watching this go on and these ideas start to bubble to the surface. And obviously there's things that work and things that don't, but being able to just see these things and experiment would be exciting on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. And you have to remember, right? Like at the core, what's driving everybody to come together here at this company is, and and this is, you know, not sales pitchy really. It is the fact that everybody here, they love story driven games. Yeah. And that, that you, you've got this kind of, okay, two attractors. One is, uh, people that are interested in you know starting something from with with a blank canvas and the second attractor is storytelling Yeah. so you you know, blank canvas storytelling it sounds like a very unique opportunity and when you think about okay how many AAA a game studios at 100 million plus are there in the world i mean it's it's in the well, probably less than a hundred it's yeah, it's a small portion it maybe maybe you know maybe less than 50 i don't know you you know it's not that big um and so to be in that but then also the subsection of that that's in this single player piece which is even less it's yeah. a i mean this is to some degree a lottery ticket right
0: yeah so i guess uh we we spoke early on about Uh, Investing in storytelling, and obviously the the storytelling is a big part of what. And you even just highlighted again, then the big part of what you're looking to achieve with the team. Funding is is a big source that you just referenced 100 million because Smilegate came along. How did that involvement begin? What what do you think they saw? I mean, I I assume they kind of explain what they feel like they saw, but like, how did that whole partnership emerge?
1: Well, the the easiest. Um, I can, you know, Tina, right? So co-founder Tina, her whole last seven now probably eight years post her leaving Sony has been she's worked for herself as a you know, she started this company called the Arsenal Agency. Yep. And the Arsenal Agency is a uh you know, was designed to help developers connect with publishers and get deals, sign deals. I knew that. Um, I just, I knew that from my, you know, us being friends and being connected. Yeah. Um, And I've, I've, I've seen her teams and, you know, she's very active on, um, you know, social media, at least not like very active, but active enough so you can kind of see whatever new team she's signing and being celebrating their, their launches. And so, you know, Tina knew the very few publishers out there in the world, because there are very few that have that level of funding capability, interest, and um, that we're looking for teams or would be open to talking to teams. So she's the gateway to finding anybody, right? And so Tina Tina and I connected and and I kind of told her what the aspirational goal was and that excited her. I wanted to operate on at a scale that was far larger than any of the other teams that she was, you know, kind of working with for the last seven years yeah. and which kind of put us in a dialogue of, of reality too. Like she and I would have debates at the beginning, which was, she's like, listen, you can't really get more than 10 to 12 million from a, from a publisher. Right. She's not, not like that was sobering for me. Cause she's like, I know what I want to do. I want to make these big, you know, th- narrative-driven third-person action games. I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. And she's like, "Yeah, but you got to step your way up to that because we've yes. not shipped the game, so you can't just come out the gate, build this new studio, and expect to get a hundred million dollars." Yes, and
0: you're trying I'm to like, "Set oh. your
1: expectations a little bit." That was her. That was her thought. She's like, "Let's start. See if we can get ten million, or maybe we can get a prototype." deal which is going you know you'll see a lot of the deals in new studios you'll see like either you know 3 4 million that are aspirate like they're are in triple a they're typically prototype deals um you know or you're funded for a year and then you know if the publisher sees something that they um they think that is going to work then they can invest more and then they'll yeah. greenlight it um and I told her that that wasn't possible i said a, a, a prototype deal just isn't possible because the people that are probably going to leave their jobs to go to other jobs, which was happening, right, to places that were offering more money, like Tencent yeah. and Epic and um, like like, this, this around This was happening anyway. I said, I'm not going to be able to keep them in, for a prototype deal. I'm not going to be able to keep them to come along for this ride if we only have six months of funding. Yeah, they we have more security than that. Yeah, and unfortunately, I'm like, and so that created another possible block, which is like, okay, wait a second. You got to be realistic here. You can't just expect that a new team, and um, you want you 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 want you want the hundred million or you want the two hundred million or whatever, and you're not even willing to do it as a prototype deal. I'm saying like, no, we're not because it can't because these people won't come for that. So ultimately, um, you know, we started with an even harder challenge. The harder challenge was now okay now now there's only a couple maybe none, <laughs> yeah. and 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 then we just she was she introduced uh meet us smilegate um Han and Harold and you know we had some uh casual meetings and some nice dinners uh Korean barbecue and we you know not to put it too gushy but we kind of you know we fell for each other like we, these 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 guys are amazing guys I mean Korean barbecue is a good meal to bond over too yeah <laughs> soju probably doesn't help it doesn't hurt um but the but the point was like we got, we 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 kind of we felt a uh, a camaraderie. We felt a level of, of, you know, intuition yeah. that there, there was something there, that there was. This was a dialogue we should continue, and maybe this is possible. Um, and it's not like, you know, basically they were just like, okay, well, we have a hundred million dollar check we're just writing we're just looking to to hand it to anybody it's not they're a very conservative company they're very smart they place very smart bets most of their things are very successful yeah and so they are you know uh they believed that we were worth investing in and that we put a team capable enough and they understood that if we wanted to do this level with this team a prototype deal wasn't going to cut it. And yep. so those were that was where that they they that's why when you see they invested 100 million because they did because ultimately from the start it was yeah, we're in. Let's do this, you know.
0: That's awesome to hear. And must be yeah, obviously it, really really comforting for you and the team as well when like you you're obviously chock full of belief in what you're doing but when someone is willing to invest on that sort of scale and just show that sort of level of belief it must be so good for the confidence because you can sometimes be obviously too close to something and maybe lose uh, perspective sometimes but when someone external like that is willing to throw those those sorts of numbers around and show that sort of display that level of confidence it must
1: do a lot for you it does but also you know there's a lot of humility here um you know jacob and taylor and i and you know rob davis and tina and nick and scott and you know kelly and all of the we feel a level of responsibility to Absolutely. deliver against that faith yeah right there's one part of like you know it's like yes you know you 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 you've you've been able to get that um that, that is very it, it's a very confidence building but it also is another uh thing to say okay well look we cannot let these wonderful people down
0: yeah no completely understand and obviously we've seen without i won't necessarily name names because i don't want to necessarily throw throw individuals or whatever under the under the bus or anything like that but we have seen similar sorts of stories that have worked and -hmm. there's others that haven't for for a variety of different reasons i'm sure there's a lot you can learn from those but it, it does i'd imagine keep uh keep your keep your heads in check that it doesn't it doesn't matter we can have this huge investment but it's still on us to follow through on on what we pitched what we believe in what we, uh the dream and
1: and the like to your point of you know look there nothing is a sure bet exactly and at any th- at any point in you know in history and big art blockbuster movies titanic was almost killed many times avatar many times <laughs> right yeah. i'm sure um Plenty you of know, examples we know, too. we know Apocalypse Now, Godfather. So some of the best examples of projects that you know have made it and changed things almost didn't make it. So um, at any scale of this level of faith, there is that expectation, and you are not going to overcome that expectation until you ship it. Yeah. And so that that pressure won't escape. Until the game is in players' hands, and the players who play it, hopefully, you know, connect with. Yeah, and then and and the reason that we all did the thing that we did makes sense to them, right? Fingers crossed that's the case. Yeah, this this, this (laughs) is this is a this adds to the conversation of good art in games. That's the hope, right?
0: Yeah and I mean I'm I'm chock full of hope that that is exactly how things play out for you and the team. It's uh it's an exciting prospect and I mean you've obviously mentioned a, a number of individuals that are that are working on the team there and it is obviously a, a whole team thing but it sounds like you're building something really fantastic. You've got the the support there that you require and hopefully that enables the the dream to become a reality and the, to your point players connect with that.
1: Yeah and the team is one of the like most rewarding things of all the things to be honest like yeah. it it you know on the inside when you're doing these things it, it's you get to these special like there are you know members of the team that i've been working with for uh decades and and then there's members of the team that i have worked alongside not directly with but are reconnecting with and yeah. then members that i have shared same banner with but never actually worked on the same team and all of those things kind of you know coming together uh when you can kind of take the day-to-day stresses of building something at this uh, anything um that's pretty exceptionally gratifying
0: that's awesome to hear, and yeah, hopefully everything goes well. So as we start to wind things down, um, just cycling a little bit back to you more specifically as opposed to the team right. itself, is there anyone out there that you've worked with or that you've looked at from afar that really inspires you in the way you go about your work?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people. And I would say the funny thing is, you of all of the people that I've worked with in my career, I look there, there's not one person or creator or leader that, um, uh, it's a combination, right? It is. It's like, I have learned so much from Amy, Amy Hennig, and I've also learned so much from Neil Druckmann, um, uh, Shauna Skye, um, and, you know, the very, you know, some interaction, you know, that I've had with... Hideo Kojima and Mark Cerny um, and Connie Booth and Scott Rode, um, and Shuhei Yoshida, Sean Layden. So the problem yeah. is it's segments of all of these people in my mind that kind of create the optimal person or the, you know, that it, it, the ideas of these wonderful people that are so ridiculously talented in all of these different segments and that kind of creates this um this hole yeah for me as a leader i I, i'm able to kind of pull from the best of those people as guiding you know examples of how i would like to act or how i'd like to how i'd like the art that we make to be and um externally you know when I think about it that's the people I've known and I've connected to um and then there's sort of like the idea of like if I was going to be a a leader and mold myself after you know people the funny part is you always aspirationally want to go to the best um Robert Zemeckis I did get to work with him Steven Spielberg you know a little but also people on the business side and creative side. Jim Henson's a huge influence for me. Steve Jobs, huge influence And Elon Musk currently. Like again, culmination of these amazing um, people. And honestly, for sure, Evan Wells um, and Ted Price. Like these are two of, uh, and Herman Holst. Like if you take Herman and Evan and Ted you kind of have three of the best studio leaders anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, these what they've all achieved NAB, like, yeah, but also they're, they're not, it's not just at the business level, right? At the business level. Yes. They're they su- they're massively successful, but on the personal level, if you get to know them, you know, they're there's actually just so much that you can learn from them. And they're so gracious that, um, yeah like though I'm I feel mainly just very fortunate I feel a bit like the Forrest Gump of video games (laughs) (laughs) I've got the experience and kind of journey with all these amazing you know leaders it's very fortunate yeah so a lot of that's just lucky timing
0: oh yeah but uh you you when when these opportunities emerge you you grab the ball by the horns you learn what you can and you hope that you can apply it in a in a really effective way going forward and that's that's where i think you're, the, what you've sided with kind of taking a, a little percentage from this person a little percentage from that person and and finding how they can kind of work together is really informative for anyone
1: yeah so you know there's a great um there's a great quote i think i don't remember i heard it on um uh what is it tim ferris podcast this says like you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with well yeah are right the 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 average that means i'm i you know uh, richard lee once said i think I, I spend most time with you know five-year-olds so you know so that, that if that's the truth but what i think so that, i'm a what teenager I like, at heart then i guess yeah right <laughs> so i mean, i'm spending with my kids and my fiance and and all so but um it, it work i you know I, I i the people i spend the most time with are peers that are tremendously talented and good people yeah and also, they are very passionate and they don't back down from their positions, which is exactly what you want in your peers. You want people that are basically, you know, not, you know, just agreeing with you. Um, some people want that. I, I, I think they're wrong and I think you should be challenged. And I think that if you've got the best people around you challenging you, that does make you the average. Makes everyone the better um and then you know again and elevating that to a sort of more meta level is you know if i'm if i imagine that i am surrounded by amy and neil and ted and evan and you know mark cerny then because i know the you know then the average of that is pretty exceptionally yeah yeah for sure so a couple
0: little curly fun ones as we wrap things up if you could be credited and look you've worked on in various capacities a lot of different titles um through VASG and obviously now working on some of your own projects and everything that mm. came before as well. But if there's any one game that you could be credited for in any capacity for anything, so you could just retroactively find a game and add your name into the credits because you would have loved to have been a part of this, or I just would have liked to have developed that one feature that you know is, is so amazing to me. Whatever, whatever the reason might be, what game would it be? So a game I didn't have a, my credit. That you for, haven't had I've any had. involvement in, but you would have loved to have somehow been involved in.
1: Uh. I'm going to give you just at the top of my head, probably Secret of Monkey Island. Awesome probably choice. Some.
0: And you're not the first person to have come up with that one too. There's a video there's a yeah. through line starting to develop here. It's, it's a fantastic game <laughs> and fantastic choice. So very yeah. good one there. Um, conversely, if you could go back and replay any game, so just strike the game from your memory and get to re-experience that, that title for the very first time, what game would you choose?
1: Oh, gosh, that's tough. For, for the very first time.
0: And I obviously don't mean in a in a working capacity. No, 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 no. I need side. to
1: think about this one more. Of just like, I've played a lot of games, but when I just like, maybe Mario sixty four.
0: Oh yeah, what was it about that one? I mean, I I think I've got some ideas, but uh,
1: I think such a revelatory moment was, for so many people. It, it was when plot like it everything changed it opened up 3d platformer being able to move a camera around the feel of being in a 3d space this i this character that i knew and felt familiar but then was kind of it's like like you know two-dimensional life it's like the first time you know you kind of experience vr to some degree but even bigger because so many things were solved and i remember the Title screen coming on and Mario in 3D and you could play with his face and pull grab off that the nose and, and, and you'd never like that stuff. Yeah. It just never you never you never saw anything like that. Um, and it was such from beginning to end an exceptional experience. The uh, play and you know and the feel and the controller, the uh, Nintendo 64 controller, which is one of the most anomalous controllers today, <laughs> but it it's, worked somehow. It, well, but I but not only did it work, I think it was exceptional. So it's just like there's a part of that, yeah, that's just magical. Uh, when you pick up that controller and you get into that world and you're experienced 3D in that way for the first time and so many problems have been articulated. It's weird to think that, you know, you're going and embarking on something so innovative yeah. and hitting it out the park on the very first go
0: yeah i mean that set a trend for that still i think informs people decades on so to have been so successful in the very first go is such an incredible achievement and i
1: and maybe yeah, i'd love to be same, able to replay you know, that as well it's certainly not a, a, a you know i think i gave you at least two one example the, the monkey island one is this is the storytelling one but just as a gamer experiencing things that was that was pretty mind-blowing yeah and also as a tech junkie Having a system created by Silicon Graphics, like you know, I was SGI was you know the as that was the tool to use to make 3D yeah. things that were unachievable. And the fact that this box, this little you know, couple you know, whatever four hundred dollar box was powered by this Silicon Graphics thing, it just felt like wow, like yeah, that was. I mean, the, the whole the whole piece of that time was pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, and what they achieved was amazing. What's so- yours? Oh, for me, if I could replay any game, um, look, um, Mario sixty four is up there. I think, though, I do probably go back to, and I've I've had this question asked a few times, and I've tried to, I've still struggled to wrestle with it for the most part, and I, I like a lot of the guests themselves have mm. as well, but um, Final Fantasy nine is still one of my favorite. Ga- uh, sorry, it still is my favorite Evan, game of all time. Evan just, or Nine, nine Oh, really? Okay, it interesting. Was the, it was the storytelling that, that it was the path they okay. went with the story in that particular one that yeah. just at that point in my life hit me in the right way.
1: That's cool. The
0: reason I don't go with that is just simply because I'm. It, it's a different point in my life now, so it's not going to necessarily resonate in the same way. It's it's that nostalgia when I go back and replay it. It's that nostalgic feeling that I'm getting from it now. That if I was to strike it from my memory and replay it, I'm not going to connect probably in the exact same way. Just the right. the growth and change. So. So I do I do think more along the lines and I, yeah I think this the question was thrown back in my face recently and I've actually you know thought about it a little bit since and I do think more along the lines that you have there with the likes of Mario sixty four is it Mario sixty four I'm not a hundred percent sure yet but I am thinking more down that sort of path so listeners so, you're starting to get some insight as to where my thinking's going at the moment
1: I love yeah you know I've never it's a great question I've never heard like I've never heard anybody ask that I thought that was a fantastic question but also an unfair one a little bit because it's also like the music if you said if you could un, un unhear an album and hear yeah. it for the first time what album would it be and that is i never heard that proposed in that way before because everybody I, I you know the the the, the common way to is, what's your favorite album and yeah i have so many favorites right everybody everybody says that and i do like it's all a million games that are a favorite but but if i'm trying to you know um think about as an experience something that um kind of was transformative that's certainly one of them that comes to mind that's since you asked me and i'm under pressure to answer that yeah. i'm like i i think yeah i think that would be an incredible time to re-experience you know yeah i yeah, mean um, there's so many like i said there's like you know forget it there's like a bit there's it's just there's so many but that. hopefully, one's really
0: hopefully the next time someone asks me the question throws it back at me i'm I'm closer to a final answer. Thank I, you, you
1: know so know much I mean, for coming
0: I mean, on the show. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Michael, so much for coming on the show and sharing yeah. this journey so far We're obviously uh, at the earliest stages of a new chapter here with that, that's no moon. And I'm really excited as I know lots of people listening and, and further, uh, further abroad are to see what comes of what you and the team are assembling at the moment. Um, yeah. Incredibly excited on, on my part. I've Thank also noticed all. recently that uh, you have, you just recently celebrated your one-year anniversary on uh, Twitter. So that, that <laughs> steers towards my last question there, where if people want to get in touch or see what you're up to, where would they be best to go?
1: Um, yeah, uh, at Michael Mumbauer on Twitter. Um, I'm trying to, you know, be more active and present. I've not been a big social media community kind of person. So I'm, I am engaging if people, and I want, you know, I'm happy to engage and, is and, 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 and be a part of that now, which is cool. Um, no, that's how that's how
0: this began. So I'm really appreciative yeah. of that fact as well.
1: Yeah, and 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 LinkedIn uh, is always great from a professional perspective. If people are interested in opportunities here, or go to the website www no Right, we're lucky enough to get that one.
0: Yes. So I mean, that's it. The the name I know a lot of people to That is an amazing name, and I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I, I I love everything about it. So as I said, thank you very much for, for coming on yeah, the story thank you. and and, and uh, explaining everything that's kind of happened so far and sharing that journey with the listeners and myself.
1: Well, it was, it was a pleasure coming on. And thanks, uh, Paul. I hope uh, we didn't bore you to tears. No, no.
0: I loved every moment. And I'm sure <laughs> listeners are in the same boat. So thank you very much for yeah, the listeners. As always, thank you much for listening. And I'll see you next time. Thanks. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at PaulJamesGames on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until our next episode, however, it's been Michael's story. Thank you much for listening and I'll see you next time.